Hey everybody, this is Sean, and this is my show, Tea with SG. It's called Tea with SG because tea's the best, and I see tea as this metaphor for life, for human beings, that all tea comes from the same place, but through nature and nurture, splits not only into the seven varietals that we know, but infinite. And that's people that we all come from, you know, we're all the same, yet there's just every possible, there's infinite variations of us, and exploring that is what is, what's worth being alive, it's what, it's what makes it all interesting, and uh, that's why I love tea, every time I sip tea, I think about people and experience in the whole world, every sip of tea, I think about the entire world. Anyway, I recorded a little bit like a rambly intro, uh, but it was on video, so it'll make more sense. I'm going to put the audio in here, but it's going to make more sense if you watch the Instagram. Um, and I'm going to just like slow, I'm going to start doing this all the time. And um, I have a lot of like new music coming out and I made a film, but I won't release that for a while. And I'm like coming back to the world. Um, I'll tell stories about why I've disappeared and all that stuff. I'll just like let this roll out over time. Um, anyway, this is my show. It's going to be totally like all over the place formatting. And I hope you enjoy. Hit me up anytime and let's talk about it, whatever. Um, yeah, I hope you don't get the fucking COVID-19 and keep it together, you know? Love. I think, you know, for me, all of it is philosophy. How should one live? And I think that that is what I have always felt from the beginning. I haven't been obsessed with music. I haven't been obsessed with film. I haven't been obsessed with good books, whatever. It's ideas. And the people that always, that, that really touched me, that really turned me on, have been ideas people. And over history, it's all ideas, it's all philosophy, and it just shifts the framework, it shifts the format, the medium. And I happen to live in a time when film is the highest art form, in, in, in my opinion. I would say video games, VR, AR have yet to surpass it, they just haven't connected yet. So film is where the ideas are, and that's why I love film the most. I love music so much as an individual uh, medium, but film is really the best way to express an idea. And that's why I love film. Not because I love film, not because I love moving a camera around or, or images synced to sound. No, I don't give a shit about that. To conveying ideas. Expression and then understanding. So in my idea of living, I think that these kinds of conversations are something I want to be doing constantly. This kind of exploration, constantly. This is the way that I want to, I just want to talk to people about ideas all the time. Nothing else. Fuck you if you want to talk to me about the weather from the fucking, unless this is the weather. You can talk to me about this weather. Yo, it's 82, uh, the fucking, it's, it got windy, so the ocean got wavy, and then it got warm, and it's fucking, gl I've been in the ocean all day today. It's incredible. Look at that. Fuck, man. Oh, this is my house. So good. This is my little pool. I never go in this fucking pool. Never. I just go in the ocean. 
So I wanna have conversations about ideas all the time. And that's what this is. That's what the, that's what the point of this is. And um, yeah, so I have a million other threads that I could go into, but fuck it, like, I'm just gonna start. Uh, first episode I recorded is with my friend Shauna. She worked for a company that was, I, I, wow, I didn't even make this connection. Like probably could be considered my first job. Uh, I know the founders from childhood, like built sandcastles together, they babysat me. They helped me in embarrassing career moments and stuff when I was, I mean, still embarrassing. I'm still embarrassing today. Very, I'm more embarrassing today than ever because I'm just older and I'm still embarrassing. Fuck, still doing dumb shit. Um, so here it is. I'm just gonna roll out like all my fucking philosophy over this thing and it's just, I don't care about format. I'm, I, I have these ideas for audio documentaries. I have these ideas for criticism, for deep dives. I'm gonna read stuff. I'm gonna talk to people. I'm gonna do a million different things and I'm just gonna do whatever the fuck I want. And um, hopefully you ride with me. Hopefully you like it. Give me feedback, talk to me, give me episode ideas. Uh, tell me when it's boring. Uh, tell me whatever, but I want to integrate this into everything. Um, I kind of got like kicked in the ass to, to go right now. Uh, I wrote an article, because of Tim Ingham, I wrote an article for his music business worldwide that's going to go up. I, I think it's like going to go up at the same time. Uh, and then I have a bunch of new music coming out really soon that, you know, if not for this quarantine, I would be done with. And it's just a matter of like, you know, getting files to the right people and getting things finished and stuff mixed. Um, but yeah, but that's gonna come really soon. So I'm gonna do a ton of these episodes. I'm just gonna do them like like constantly because I have fucking nothing else to do. I'm just swimming. Um, so I'm gonna do this, release some music. I have a movie that like I did and it's finished, but I can't really do anything with it yet. Um, I wanna shoot the next part of it. It's three parts, but um, I don't know, we'll see. Um, and in the meantime, just drinking a lot of tea. I got my sheen shot coming, coming, what day is it today? Uh, I don't know what day it is, but it's coming this week. All right, love you guys. Here's me and Shauna. Yeah, I could put the microphone in the image, why not? Um, <laughs> it's like part of my ensemble of uh, my, my coffee and my, uh, my milk and... There's no veal though. The veal in Jean Dillman is the the thing that gets me. The flower when she's kneading. Have you seen it? No. Oh, you have to watch it. It's on Criterion. I can give you my login. Uh, it's it's like four hours. Uh, Chantal Ackerman. I think it's 1973. I'm gonna say um, Delphi the Seyrig, and it's shots are just so this is a frame from the film and uh in the film she just there'll be a shot of her sitting there so like the milk is right there yeah yeah yeah. and like this is a 10 minute scene more maybe it might be might be longer i like you can't really you lose your sense of time it's it's like when you, it's like a, it's a meditation it really is um that. and it's it's really the first time someone did it like this so there's uh you can read like my film bible i would say like the most important text to me about film is is transcendental style in film by paul schrader and he wrote and it was written around the time of this of, of sean dealman 
and he wrote a maybe four years ago he wrote an update okay. of it with an introduction on slow cinema and like it's basically it's like andy warhol ideas that there were like a few people experimenting with these ideas of just like what happens when like instead of the story mm -hmm. or the technique or you know what's happening in the movie right now it's what's the experience of watching yeah. and what happens to someone when they sit there so so my I, i'd say the most visceral reaction like i've ever had to a film is maybe we're two hours into the movie something like that it's like it's like deep into the film yeah and there's no you know the, the plot i can summarize in two sentences it's just basically like like a, a single mom who does some weird stuff on the side to make ends meet like kind of losing it but it's like you don't really the losing it there's no like crisis moment so the way that it's conveyed is like she's cooking we watch her cook everything for her son and she's, she's making veal and the process of the veal where you have this thin sliced meat right here like yeah. literally in this frame and then you have a bowl of of eggs mm -hmm. to dip in and yeah, then yeah. you have the flour yeah, yeah, and she's kneading it all and in the and you watch the entire thing and it takes takes 20 minutes i think yeah, yeah. and in the front of the frame so like right here mm -hmm. there's a little clump of flour and she's kneading it over and over and over again yeah okay for 20 fucking minutes okay <laughs> and there's this fucking clump yeah, right yeah. here that's just like driving nuts it yeah. drives me nuts yeah <laughs> when is she going to get the fucking clump? and she eventually gets the clump and right. i'm telling you it's like that's amazing. Oh my God. It's like, it's like in the searchers <laughs> I love where it. they finally find Natalie Wood. <laughs> it's, it's so, it's such a catharsis. <laughs> oh my God. It, it's, it's so painful. That clump. It. And it represents all like that little clump of flour represents the entirety of like my existential dread, my discomfort with, with who I, you know, with, with, with my position in the world, with everything. Yeah. Just like, Assimilating I cannot reconcile that fucking piece <laughs> of flour. Need it, please need it into the meat, cook it, eat it, get it out of here. <laughs> yeah. I can't look at it anymore. It's <laughs> reminding me of everything. It's like a, that's deeply telling about you. Who you are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'll own it. I'll own it. And that you know. piece of fucking flower <laughs> haunts me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to know that. I won't, uh, I'm excited to watch it and, and, and think of you while that's happening. <laughs> Freaking. Yeah. <out. laughs> I'm honored. If I can, if I can be um, invoked in one's thoughts while Jean Dillman is kneading her veal. That is one of the highest like life art balance honors I can think of. Well, I mean, why wouldn't you be? You just told me all about it. Like, of course that's gonna happen now. So, I mean, it's very validating to me to, to, uh, to understand that, uh, that I'm able to take in such a high work of 
work, work of work. I don't even want to say art. It's just, just human doing as what Chantal Ackerman created with that. And for me to be able to distill something from it that could be your association yeah. is, is I'd say that's like the most important, that's like the best way to be alive. I love it. All right, here we go. <laughs> I'll make sure to watch it and I'll report back. My headphone keeps, tip ring sleeve thing keeps getting fucked up. I don't know what to do. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> All right, so I mean, I purposefully want no format to this. Okay. I um, I wanted you on this show with me partly because of that, like the way that I started. So I've, I've had a few, I've, you know, when I was like working on other companies, I had a few like Sean hosting a show situations. And even like yesterday, I'm on the phone with my friend and he's, or I'm on zoom actually with my friend and he's talking to me about what's the, what's the guy's name? Um, Joe Rogan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His podcast. And he's talking to me about how every time there's a there's a format and and this and the, and he's like telling me how to, you know, he's walking me through all of the and I he was being nice like I was asking him like what, yeah, okay, I'm gonna start a podcast like what the fuck should I do, and he's and he knows the answers like he does this, yeah. and everything I'm hearing, I'm just like, I'm just like fuck that like why, and so. I mean, and, and, and this thought came to me a while ago, like I wanted to start doing this with people who I know who have something to, to do with this, who are not just like, you know, anyone has a, a stuff to say, but they're the people who are like the arbiters, the gatekeepers of like, of media and communication. And um, so, you know, you and I are friends, but we're originally connected through your work at fader where like i i kind of worked like <laughs> lifetimes ago when i was a kid and i know your your coworkers really really well for my whole life yeah. and um you know fader is uh fader has i'd say there's three things that i associate fader with like at, that they're at the pinnacle of which is so crazy that I can think of three and, and it's, you know, the magazine as a tastemaker, Fader Fort as, um, as really like the archetypal, like they, they, they broke down the walls for others to follow of like activation, you know, festival yeah. conference. And then the third would be, would be something that's like alongside Fader Fort, but really like they're separate of brand collaborations, which I know is something that you've worked on for forever. And, um, Thanks. you know, back in the day, they like Robin, they, they, they invented this and they, they absolutely did. Or at least were, I would say if they didn't invent it, they were certainly the ones who helped propel it to be what it is now. And also gave people, like you said earlier, like the tools to be able to do it well and successfully, not just for themselves, but for the brands and the artists that they work with. You know, when we talk about brand partnerships, or at least when I talk about it, you know, I talk about it as always being like a pyramid 
you have your brand, you have the fader, and then you have an artist. And all three have to have like an equal stake in that for it to be great content or a great event or great something. If it's, if one part of that doesn't feel like, uh, like organically or authentically a part of this, even though I hate those two words with a fiery passion. They're like, cliches for a reason though. Yeah, 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 totally. That's how I always think about it. It's like, there isn't a better word, even Correct. though it you cringe when you say it. <laughs> they're like, the cliche for a reason, because they actually, <laughs> unfortunately, it's just how it goes. describes yeah. the thing that you're trying to describe. Well, and so like if one of those pieces, you know, one of those corners of this triangle or this pyramid isn't sturdy or isn't strong, it just all collapses under the guise of like, bad content or a bad event or a bad partnership. And I think John and Rob and, and even Andy Cohn, um, when he was at the company, you know, they all really knew how to keep both the integrity of the fader and the integrity of the artists in a conversation with brands. And that is like a skill in of itself. Um, one that I'm very grateful that I get to learn from them, but also I get to use my own gut instinct to sort of evolve that, right? You, you sort of see them as the first guard. Like now I'm trying to push that envelope in a way. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm talking about things from, you know, starting no, 20 years ago. And no. uh, of course they're, you know, so that's that's why like, uh, I'd rather talk to you than, than them. Cause they like, they're old, they're they're done. They're like, they're, they're dinosaurs. <laughs> But so, someone's <laughs> someone's got a someone's at the at you know manning the ship today. Totally. But like what I distill everything that you're saying into like, uh, like I wrote by the time people hear this, like there's an article that I wrote that that you read, and you know the theme of the article for me, there's a lot of words in it and a lot of a lot of topics, but it's about the essential and it's about just like, yes, you can mix ingredients and stuff, but. I, and, and I know that you, I sent you that article, I think we talked about it a little bit, that, you know, Omami theory of value, which I distill as mediocre plus mediocre equals value. And, and we just somehow got convinced of this. And it wasn't Cornerstone. It wasn't the, the kind of brand collaborations that Cornerstone has done are always making something that doesn't exist before that people want, that elevates the thing and elevates, yeah, all three. Yeah. And I think that a lot of what, like, so sort of the impetus of why I'm starting this today and I don't give a fuck about um, format. <laughs> yeah, format or like the marketing or like I've had all these fucking agencies and, and, and production company conversations and everything just like I just don't care. I want to focus on and I want to talk about the, the pyramid that you just described because I think that you know, the virus didn't break anything. The virus just like revealed. And this has been broken for a long time. And this has been a waste of fucking time for a long time. And um, I, I think that, yeah, like I want to go deeper into like what makes one of those pyramid collaborations essential and valuable to everyone. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, what, what's one that you really, that you really are well, proud I think, of? I think, well, you know, obviously not even going into the sort of what's proud of, I think what's like important to say about this first is like, we're in a really weird time. I know that's like the most over overstated sentence of all, but, but again, it's a cliche for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. But like artists need 
help more than ever. You know, more than any time in the history of music, they, they're not touring, they're not making revenue. Sales are weirdly kind of down, but kind of up. It's all kind of like yo-yoing to a place where it's not stable, right? And for the past, you know, several decades, the music industry has been really pushing artists, oh, you'll make your money on tour, you'll make your money on tour, you'll make your money on tour. Well, what happens when there's no touring? Right. So like, I see what I do, you know, creating these brand partnerships as like a very sustainable way for artists to make revenue while also being able to like expose themselves. Like, you know, it's as like a music fan and an avid music lover, like, and you know, I was at Moog before this, like, I really care about like high quality products and high quality music products. And so when I listen to an artist, like, I kind of want to know what they're playing with and what, you know, like, what, what synthesizers is James Blake using? Like, what microphones is Dua Lipa using? You know, whoever, it doesn't matter. And so, like, an artist can expose themselves through that way by saying, okay, I'm going to work with these, like, brands and these products that I already use and love, but they can also show other facets of their, like, personalities, like, hey, now everybody knows that, like, I'm into health food, so now I can partner right. up with a brand that makes sense in health food. It's just like exposing and being more, becoming more intimately familiar with an artist, which, you know, is like a, a beautiful thing that's happening right now, but it's also necessary because their main revenue stream has been pulled away from them. It sounds like you have two different triangles that you're thinking about. One being artist, brand, fader, slash cornerstone. The other being yeah. revenue stream, mm -hmm. audience, thing like making something of value so it's i mean the, this is bringing money you know, to the artist this is bringing audience to the artist and there's a thing that gets created that wasn't there before so it's creating like a horizontal yeah. movement that can be then a vertical movement like a healthcare kind of situation totally and you know obviously it doesn't have to be like a thing it can also be a message if the brand that we're talking about sure a communication like a whatever whatever yeah 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 you know but at the end of the day, like you can't have a quality partnership really without any, like they all three of them have to be a part of it, right? It's, at least in music. We, we can talk about this in different contexts of, you know, other industries or whatever. I think sports is probably one that is very similar to music where you have an athlete, a brand, and then probably a publication that's, or, you know, a television, like the NFL, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always sort of like always some sort of media entity involved because that's how you get the audience to tune in, right? I think sports are more ripe for, for bullshit though. Like yeah, I, so I love sports. I'm a huge, I fucking, I played two sports in college. I granted, yo, this is not like a flex. I went to art school. Like it wasn't hard <laughs> to play two sports in college, <laughs> but just say like, but I think that um, when you talk like umami theory of value, when you apply that, like athlete is doing it, it, it's less like you know the guy is uh endorsing something like there's no it's not really there's i think the thingness of it is really important when yeah. you are creating a thing that i can so it's like not only does the artist get revenue not only does someone do, do, do all parties get exposed to new audiences but there is like that's really i i think that to distinguish between sports which it can happen but it's just like it's like very very rare that this means anything in music like these are people who have been alive and navigated to 
writing and producing creating something. songs. Yeah. And they don't, all the things that brought them to making these songs that we like also brought them to all these other things. They will be very difficult to, wait, what just happened? I don't know. Oh, it's fine. Okay. Um, I don't know. It said my microphone changed. Um, it's very difficult to find outlets for, to even just reveal that like they like other things besides songs. And I just think that music is really unlike anything else, more than filmmaking for, you know, filmmaking is a more singular activity, I think, like active create, uh, active creating. Music, like the, the, a lot of the people that you work with, this is the sole opportunity, sole outlet for them to get something super important out into the world. And, you know, uh, like the, the, that's important. I think that they can, that that system exists. And I, I don't think it really, I don't know. I mean, you could be like, I think music is really the only place that like for a filmmaker, they integrate music into their film. If they're like someone who has music in their blood or whatever, like Damien Chazelle, like makes films about jazz. Yeah. But like for a music artist, like they just, it, that doesn't exist for them to go flex these other creative muscles unless someone comes in and creates an opportunity for it. Yeah. Well, I think I, that's super important. I think the, also the difference with music too, if we're comparing sort of all these industries is like music inherently is a much more personal creation process. Whereas like you can be a producer in your bedroom making a song and put it out into the universe without having anybody touch it other than just you. Whereas right. like, I think when you make film and you do sports, those are inherently team-ish activities, right? Like, granted, I was a professional horseback rider. You wouldn't think that's a team activity, but at the end of the day, you have like a network and a support system that you're working with in order to compete, mm -hmm. right? And the same thing with film, like you still need an actor, you still need, you know, you need a lot of people. Yeah, you need you need a lot of people. Whereas music really can be very singular and very intimate. There's also a lot of checks and balances that you encounter before the thing Absolutely. gets made. But with music, like I can go as when we hang up, I can go make a song on my laptop. You know, right, right, and it can and just like, exist. Yeah, so it's definitely like not to say that these things don't have personal elements. Everything does, of course, especially when you're successful at it. Um, but I think music is inherently just has a little bit more of a, a personality and an identity to it that like sports or film or who knows whatever other industry. Yeah, like I agree. I, I, I completely agree. I think that there's nothing like, I mean, for, to me, film, a, a film is, is in my opinion uh, today before, you know, AR and, and VR become something or video games. Uh, film is the highest art form, but, musicians are the most like singular creators yeah totally. In, in, because of the things that you described and yeah. so i think that like you know putting brands involved in films or sports is just ripe for bullshit you know it's like the beats pill in transformers that's what you get and <laughs> yeah. like that was, that was 
like whatever i actually thought that was awesome like when that happened i was like oh my god consolidation at its peak this is crazy like like i hate consolidation but like i love chaos so it's like you know i love just disorder and just and and, and you know it was the most decadent moment in, in mainstream anything like oh my god everything is never gonna get this bad and it's awesome but uh and it's also like in film and stuff like the, when you integrate a brand into a film like whether you see someone drinking it's meaningless yeah. well, it's meaningless right because it's not that real person doing it of course you know? like, it's ridiculous like there's like, the one in a million uh, i thing yeah. that actually makes sense but like but in yeah, music so it can happen constantly yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of why I do it, right? Is because my entire career, even before Fader, even before Moog, like I would throw like house shows. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, like, I worked at like a law firm. I was such a square, but like, I would throw house shows on the weekends and just give all the monies to all the money to the touring bands. Cause like, I didn't need it. Like I said, I was working at a law firm. But like, I just wanted to get revenue to my friends who were in bands that I saw struggling because they were either, you know, having to work all day, every day in service industry jobs, not have health care, not have like the opportunity to like really make any sort of investment in themselves or right. in, in their gear. And so like, that's kind of why I got involved in all of this was because I love music. Don't get me wrong. There's not a ton of money in this, you know, like I do it cause I love it and I love the artists and I want to be able to give them those resources. So that way they can continue to make and create. But the only way we can do that because of capitalism is through brands. Right. Like so what happens when exposure is th that article that I don't know if you saw, but the good article got written this week. Uh, what happens when, you know, exposure is all there is. So the whole yeah. model has been for many years that, um, you know, like we'll give you exposure. You'll do this for free, but you'll make it up somewhere else. And uh, cause we have a platform, blah, blah, something, you know, just along those lines. And the, um, the breakdown in this article, just to skip to the end of it is that without touring, it doesn't work period. Right. The entire economic, the financial system of music, does not work. Yep. The record labels growing their, you know, all the numbers from Spotify being contributed to the, to the net net of the music industry. It, that's happening, but that is to a tiny, tiny group of people. Well, and yes, the rest of the industry hard. just got, so, so what, so what's next? What happens? Are, are, are brands, are we going to have like the, you know, zoom profits mm -hmm. just went up. So like, is zoom going to have to underwrite, live streams so, like, i don't know what do you yeah what yeah, do you see because I mean, touring is 2022 is the next time people yeah. will have a profitable tour people who tour will be huge artists and will be artists that like just either do it at really low cost mm -hmm. and they do it you know a dj who like has enough demand and can just be you know have a usb or artists that for whatever reason they decide to just basically like they just decide to do it they're not going to make a profit it is not going to be a profitable yeah operation Especially, for a long time well and i think about it even from like the emerging artist standpoint which again is kind of like and like the anthem to my existence and sort of what fader does well is to, you know is like we care about the emerging artists the sort of guy on the come up of uh -huh. course like a taylor swift or or 
John Mayer, whoever, they, they're fine and they will be fine because yeah. they can take two or three years off touring and still sell albums and do all that. Like for me- But they'll also be able to tour profitably. They, they won't have to tour yeah. tour. They'll just, John Mayer will do 10 shows and yeah. he'll make a couple million dollars, you know? That will still happen. Or he will skip it and just chill in his fucking house with whoever, you know, young person he's with. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's, so that's, I think about but the it. the emerging like, artist is now, also, like, you're, you're saying emerging artist. Yeah. It's really below John Mayer, like, yeah. Taylor Swift, John Mayer, everyone below John Mayer, like, I don't know, uh, whatever, yeah. someone just came, like, Twin Shadow. Like, yeah. Twin Shadow <laughs> is in the emerging artist category, as far as what you're saying. Yeah, I mean. Economically? <laughs> For the rest of the world, yes. For Fader, no. Right? So that's what, you know. Sure, sure. And I just say that because, like, when I think about it, I think about it from Fader perspective. When I think about okay. an emerging artist, it's someone who's, like, probably has their first record and, like, coming out. You know, like, it's really, really potentially very emerging. Yeah, I guess I was making, like, a tangential comparison. No, but you're, but yeah. you're totally right. That's just my focus. You're absolutely right. Like, an artist like Twin Shadow is going to have a hard time making money without touring because again right. this sort of like myth of the industry telling everybody like you're gonna make your money through tour sales and merch sales on tour and blah 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 it goes to what you were saying about that power of exposure like exposure is dead because what's also really great about this time is artists are saying well i'm just going to talk to my fans directly through my instagram live i don't need your exposure platforms anymore which is also really interesting because like now you know, you're able, like artists are growing much closer to their fans where they, be, instead of just being like influencers, now they're like real personalities. And, and so, you know, when an artist is saying like, oh, you know what, thanks to, to Levi's for having me on this like 501 broadcast, like they just cut me a check while I'm like an emerging artist in the, in the world sense, not in the fader sense. Um, you know, they're helping me get through this and keep my lights on and be able to make my next record. Like, that is, that's what's happening now. But also that artist is bringing their fans who are even more dialed in and tapped in than they would have been three months ago because that's all we have to do is watch Instagram and, you know, care about the people that we follow and we idolize because everything's in flux. It's like a positive thing that's happening. And the artists, I think, need to make, like, be very aware about the ability to capture, like, first-party data, like, right now. Because yeah. that's how they're going to make money moving forward so how's that factored into your so you broker these and yeah, where yeah. does like the so, term first party data come into you know the well, brokerage like, of these kinds of things yeah so like that's where like the fader comes into play now but also just always right where you bring an artist to a brand partnership let's say it's a video series um you know we did a, a brilliant video series with new balance uh two years ago a year ago, sorry, um, called The Fearless Ones. And so, like, we worked with Jack Harlow, Berhana, and Harry Hudson. Um, and we made these beautiful three- to five-minute video pieces, which showcased the idea of them being fearlessly independent, which is New Balance's tagline. It's a beautiful tagline that can fit to anything, but it also fits really well with music, right? Sure. What does it mean to be that artist that's not signing to a label or who's overcome something or who's immigrated here from another country and just like trying to forge your own path. It goes back to what we were saying earlier that artists are so personal that like when you attach them to a brand, you're, you're attaching a lot of credibility to that sentence because you're using their story. So like, and 
for the Burhana example, like he immigrated here and lived in Brooklyn or lives in Brooklyn. He may not still be there. Um, Everyone goes to Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but like, you know, so when we made this video piece, it was about how, you know, that like immigration story, and it's not over the head, like here's how I immigrated here. It's just like, hey, I'm fearlessly independent because I made this big leap and I wanna be a musician. And that's like, again, it's a simple tagline that can be applied to anything. And that personal story is how you kind of sell a product, right? Someone who loves this artist is now tagged into this tag, like, you know, tapped into this tagline in this brand because they care about Burhana. Mm-hmm. And so the fader, we created it, produced it, et cetera. But we also did this thing, which we called amplifying it, right? Which is where we blow it out on socials. We blow it out on our website, all that stuff. And there, from there, we get the data right on our, our YouTube tells us who watches the, you know, who watches the fader YouTube tells us who, you know, watches the fader Instagram. We know who those people are. Artists don't necessarily have those tools. That's what I'm saying is like, they need to get them quick or they need to get hip to using those tools. So that way they can continue to broker these deals. I'm kind of saying it, it almost in a weird way takes fader out of the question, but like we are such a we're such a stamp of approval in a way that like when you bring us into the conversation, it doesn't feel like a capitalist, like money grab, you know, it's, it's not just a brand and an artist doing something. It's now you have a tastemaker kind of keeping the level of like, this is interesting for everyone, not just uh-huh. the brand and the artist. So go granular on that. Like what are the data points? What are the, the gets like, what, what are the important things that totally, and, yeah. and, and apply it to a year ago or today or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, so you think about what a brand's consumer is. Let's just use the New Balance example because we've been talking about it a lot or I've been talking about it a lot. Um, for New Balance, they want a consumer that, you know, is conscious of price point, but also like isn't like a hype beast, right? Who's going to be like, hey, I have to have the new Nike Air Jordans. Like I have to have the new whatever. Because that's not the New Balance brand. The New Balance New Balance makes a better shoe than Nike. The technology in their shoe is actually better, but it's still not a brand that has that like hype, right? And so, when you are a New Balance consumer, New Balance is going except after- for the denim tears collab. <laughs> yeah, and like, don't get me wrong, those like gray nine nineties, like <laughs> you know, their tagline is like something like, "Oh, from like dads in Ohio to supermodels in London, like everybody wears these." Oh, funny, yeah. It's totally true, right? Like you can see them on Gigi Hadid or whoever. Yeah. With that being said, like the brand has to know who their consumer is or who they're trying to reach, and so like for Fader, when a brand comes to us, it's usually they're looking for someone who's an early adopter or who's like influential in their friend group and the way fader figures that out of course through like data points on like you know comscore quantcast all that all these like fancy things we are inherently a music discovery platform and an emerging music discovery platform so therefore as a part of our editorial like ethos you kind of have to be a curious consumer and like interested in things before your friends if you're reading fader because we're not talking about the Ariana Grande's every day. We're talking about- Fader's never been been complex and it has avoided the things that complex does. It's just never done that. (laughs) Your words. But yeah, but- I know know you're not gonna say that, but yeah. (laughs) You know, but you know what I mean? Like when we are inherently covering like a new artist or breaking a new artist, like Rico Nasty, people hadn't, 
people in the scene knew who she was, but now she's a she's a star. Same thing with Megan the Stallion. You know, like oh, I she, mean, you can you can give a hundred of these examples of people right. that have been yeah. covers of Fader before, literally like like covers of Fader when they have eleven thousand Instagram followers. I mean, well, before yeah. Instagram, but like <laughs> that equivalent of today. And you know, now they're. I mean, Fader has covered, has has put. I don't know. You could probably. I'm sure John and Rob. Or there's the book, you know. But like, <laughs> there's there's a li- there's got to be a list somewhere of like how many artists are covers before they were famous like not not like we mentioned them like oh we did a review like covers i don't know of anyone who's ever who i don't think there's another uh, i don't think there's an analog to that no there isn't and like we have as of right now we have 119 magazines and we do typically at least two if not four covers every time so you got to think of that breadth of like but what do you mean you have 119 magazines and you do four so we do, when we do a magazine, there's, there tends to be four cover stars. So right. you can get four different artists on the cover of the magazine. So like... Where are you saying 119 uh, total... We have 119 issues. Like in its history. Correct. Oh, yeah. sorry. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, 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 was, I understand. Um, no, you're fine. Um, oh yeah, you do alt, alternate covers, right. Right. And so you got to think about it. if you did 119 just times by two, let alone times by four, think of how many artists we've covered. Mm-hmm. Are there some overlaps? Of course. Did we do some icon issues? Of course. But like, at the end of the day, like, that's a lot of artists we've given a platform to. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when a brand comes to us, they're really looking at us for A, to get in tune with that sort of like, creative, fearlessly independent, to use the tagline for New Balance, like, consumer who like cares about things, who cares about style, but also kind of is okay with going their own way as opposed to like following, you know, they're, they're, they're happy leading. And like, so, we know because of like data points that they're educated and that they're, they're on their way to becoming affluent too, because they, you know, again, by being a curious consumer, you tend to want to know more, you tend to want to do more, you, you know, it's all these things that kind of just psychology kind of puts in line in like a straight line, if you will. So like, I'm a, you know, so there's a manager listening right now and he's 27 and he's got a client who's mid you know got a deal but whatever like yeah to that archetype mm-hmm. there's obviously the je ne sais quoi of like this thing's gonna pop you know picking this artist because they just got it and you just know they got it and we're gonna put them on the cover or we're gonna put them in that brand deal whatever there's that but like go back and like so so, so i think of like this um like this show, one of the opportunities that I don't see, like, I like, I talk, like I, 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 uh, I let the cat out of the bag. I've done it my whole life. Um, it's probably because I'm a generational, I'm a, someone you, this term scion, it sounds so gross. Someone said that in like an article about me years ago and I got so upset. I like, didn't really comprehend like the, the literal meaning of it. I just had the, context of it but I, I clearly like have the I do this because like other people like to keep things uh privy you know and I don't I'm just like no just like get all the information out there like I remember like I wrote that article when I left Apple and I just literally like laid out how the decisions were made and yeah. the Apple side the iTunes side got really mad but the beats you know Jimmy and Larry and the people that like really do it they were like 
whatever. I don't care about saying that. They yeah. like privately were like, great. Like, good yeah. job. We can't officially say good job. But like, I want this information out there. And I, and I see like the show as an opportunity to be like, not, you know, so everything that you're saying, you know, be fearless and be independent and all that stuff like that, that's cool and all. And I know that that's part of the je ne sais quoi decision making, but like, I want to like, you know, I want to, okay. One of the things when I was like at Apple, one of my sort of like missions was I wanted to create a system, the best practices, the, yeah. the proof of concept, the case studies. And I wanted to just give it out. And be like, yo, this is how we did this with Skrillex. This yeah. is why it was Skrillex. This is why we did this article, this live thing, this blah, blah, blah. Like the data, the decision, all of it. I want to like template it. And, and I want to like be able, that 27-year-old manager who's like good, <laughs> but like doesn't know shit yet, you know, right. but has a client and is able to do stuff. I want to like empower that. I want to empower him with the information to right. serve up like a fucking perfect deal. Yeah, yeah. Like situ to, to, to a, to, to you, to fader. Like, so like as granular as you're willing to get, like, what are the, you know, what are the data points? What are the things the artist should ask for? What are the things the artist should provide? You know, what are the brands like what's in the, there's a, there's a four page presentation made to the brand at some point of why it should be this, you know, there, there's 30 pages, but there's like four of them on this artist. What are the things in that couple of pages, you know? Yeah. I mean, so for, for Fader, right, let's talk about it through Fader because it's very different for every publication and for every brand. Like, we want to see that you have engagement with your audience and that your audience engages with you, right? Because when we work with you and a brand, we want you to do social media on behalf of the campaign, right? This, yeah. That's why we're doing this. So, like, if you have three million followers but you get two comments on your Instagram, that something's wrong there, right? You know, and I'm not saying that, I'm not even alluding like you bought them or whatever, but like- No, that's like influencer marketing stuff that people right, deal with every day, yeah. With your, with, your, with your audience is one-sided. So like, how do we, so we try to find artists that like, even like smaller, like niche, I don't want to say communities because it sounds so hokey, but like niche communities like tap into- That's no, another word that's a cliche for a reason. Yeah, yeah. and so like, you know, especially when we're working with a brand, if we're using the New Balance example, like we knew New Balance wanted to sort of like get some like cool points or, you know, like buzz. Okay. Out. So like crossover associations with like valuable, mm -hmm. you know, audience groups or communities or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing. And, too and, and to quantify that, to represent that as yeah. like, I am an arbit, I am an, I'm a gatekeeper to X. Yeah. But also like the very granular stuff of like, hey, there are more men than women that listen to my music. Well, if that's the case, then you need to find brands that cater to men, you okay. know, or, you know, like you, it can get that granular. Do like, artists present you with that kind of data? No. So actually what usually happens is we work, Fader works either with the brand or their media agency, whoever. And then we go find the artists separately and bring them to the brand for approval because Fader, know, we know how to, I say we as if we have like a massive team, like we know how to, to pivot, not to pivot, but to position an artist for a brand to care about them. Do managers you know, understand how to do that? I mean, I think, again, it's knowing who your audience is. And then, you know, we have an entire talent team that kind of their job is to be in communication with 
artists, their managers, their labels, you name it, in order to be like, hey, we're thinking of working with Grey Goose. You know, like, Grey Goose, we need, we need someone who's over 25, who's an emerging artist, and, like, you know, doesn't do too much, like, sexual stuff. Our brand, our, our talent team, sexual stuff, that sounds so silly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't like Miley Cyrusing all over the place. I know, I know exactly. Of course, I know exactly what you mean. Yes. Uh, so, like, our talent team will then go to what, our- what I thought of. By the way, when you said that, just whatever. Sorry to interject, but like, I thought of like, no, I'm super. I'm really good. I don't do any sexual stuff. I've been in quarantine in Mexico <laughs> by the ocean by myself for almost three months. Like, yo, I'm, I'm, yeah. I promise. Like, I barely drink any alcohol. You know, I'm like really safe for the kids like yeah. no drugs you, you know? you're the brand deal with a car company right now yeah yo i've been <laughs> celibate for a long time like i'm really i'm really safe yeah yeah but you know what i mean like it's one of those things of course, where, yes. like certain brands have certain brand safety rules like the bigger brands you know a coca-cola car companies you name it tend to be a little bit more conservative and not conservative in the republican or democrat way but conservative in the like we don't like artists who push the boundaries too much. Like we don't like artists who. So our artists, so like our yeah. artist managers coming, they're not. It's rare that you have a manager like sort of chasing you or pitching right. you. That doesn't happen. It happens in my inbox all the time because, like, that's sort of the. Nature oh, so you end up you are like cherry picking basically. Yeah. Well, and so you don't necessarily that. care about the soliciting of. I don't, I don't care i just don't because we have like a talent team who's like professional you know who you want you don't need the incoming yes. yeah, yeah yeah okay so that's fucking so what I'm, I'm trying to like yeah so what is i'm thinking out loud it's not a direct question actually like that 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 guy's trying to make noise and he's making some noise and he's trying to get to the next thing. I, I think a big way to think about these things is the horizontal versus vertical. And, you know, we have down, I was talking to my dad and I think anyone who listens to this probably is aware that like my dad has a record label. Uh, I was talking to my dad about how they're good on their verticals. Like yeah. it's fine. Yeah. You don't need to iterate on that. You don't even need to adjust with the quarantine, like verticals being like radio promotion, streaming playlists, blah, blah, blah. They're good with that. The work needs to be horizontal. It needs to be, and I, and I was telling him like, you should have like effectively like business development, like agents, like who are just going out there. And you know, this is a perfect example, like bothering the fuck out of Shauna, just like get all of the deal flow from Shauna. <laughs> like, I don't care if these people, I, I was like, you should have like a 10 to 90 ratio of like a few creative people actually building things like horizontal. Everyone should be working horizontally. You have your system that works vertically and just like, let it go. Just do it. Yeah. Do, do what you're already doing. But all of your new work should be like 10% thinking about like, what are the really cool things that we can create? And that should be like a couple smart people working on one or two things at a time. The rest are like, you know. How do I work with someone else? Yeah, and just running around, and they're and they're the kind they're like marketing consultant people. They're the kind of people that like, not, not gonna lie, like I, I, I fucking hate. Um, but you know, they're the people that are just the umami value people. But they should be finding way. Like you're not going to allow them to win and sell you on some bullshit. So they're they right. need to be yeah. packaging these things in ways that are value-oriented. I think the other thing too, that needs is, to happen or else I, what, what, 
Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And it's not a one-sided conversation. It's sort of a supply and demand situation, I guess. Yeah, yes. A, that. B, but it's also not a one-sided conversation, right? Like when we build a brand partnership or I build a brand partnership, of course I work with our talent team, but I work with editorial too, right? And editorial obviously are the ones who have their ear to the ground, who are really paying attention because to be polite about it, like I only have my world of music that I know about. Yeah. Of course I'm going to want to bring more people in, especially the people who were paying to write about music, right? To the table to be like, actually, no, this up and coming rapper from Baltimore is going to pop and is going to, and aligns perfectly with this. Like, trust us, trust us, trust us. There is weirdly a lot this of- This is really cool. Yeah. By the and way, just like to flag, like you're saying it like uh, part of your 101 day to day. Yeah those alignments are very unique in, you know, in industrially, I know. <laughs> like the, like, uh, whatever I'll, you, you won't, but I will like translation doesn't have that. They don't do the same thing. Translation is an amazing, amazing company, superpower, but they don't have that. They, they have to manufacture that. You have these three verticals that are independently, they, they need to independently justify themselves as, right. as a value add they need yeah. to know how to do sorry i thought my doorbell just rang um <laughs> they need to be the best like your editors need to be writing articles about the next big thing yeah, for of course. no reason exactly. other than that your mm -hmm. fader for curators you know bookers they need to be putting the best people on stage for no reason other than that you right. need to be doing these brand these these brand activations that net out return on a community return on investment all of that independently and then if these litmus tests are passed on these three levels independently mm -hmm. the value that they trade to the to the other two is massive and you right. have this what the fuck one, one second i'm sorry yeah. no you're fine yes Sorry about that. No, you're fine. They brought me food. <laughs> um, that's, that's important in these times. Oh yeah. So yes, yeah, so so you having those not just like you having like the best vetted people that's huge and that's an alignment that is very unique in the industry having like a fader editor in the cubicle 10 feet away just to, to, to ask that yeah, question like, hey, that's um, huge well and it's also what keeps us from straying out of what we do best right where it's like if we can do a partnership with an emerging artist, we're going to do a partnership with an emerging artist. Because again, Cardi B or whoever already has a team that's going after brand partnerships for her. She doesn't need the fader to come in and be involved. Do we like being involved? Of course. We love Cardi B. We gave her her first cover. You know, there, there are plenty well, of artists. you did? I didn't realize. Yeah. That's cool. um, you know, like we, there are plenty of artists that we do that for all the time. Mm -hmm. But again, when a brand comes to us, it's usually because they're saying, we want to do something in music, but we don't know what to do. 
and we don't know who to reach out to and we trust your instincts. And so that's when we, again, right. work with the artists, the managers, et cetera, to kind of figure that all out. And also push back on the brands a little bit and be like, hey, maybe this messaging isn't so like on point for music. Like, you know, Fader brings an integrity to the conversation, especially for a brand that doesn't do things in music often. Make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, how do artists like how do, what's the reaction yeah. to, to now? So, so like this is this basically the, the setting that is about to occur is like they had a few outlets to go cash in on their exposure and yeah. they and now a bunch of them just got cut down. Yeah. Your outlet still exists. We do. What's I don't know. Like, what do you think happens? What's the adjustment? Like, obviously you're sitting and your job doesn't change too much. It, it or does, how, how, do, how does your job, yeah, how do you see yeah. your job changing, I guess, is a good it's question. It's gotten harder, right? Because brands aren't spending money. Okay. Uh, which I think is, which means that these opportunities that we've been talking about for artists are fewer. And so I think what is advantageous to artists in the upcoming universe of all of this is like, they're going to have to be a little bit more flexible with what they're willing to do. Whereas like prior to Corona, artists could really kind of like dictate the terms. Drive the conversation. Yeah. Right. Whereas like now you're going to have to be like, if I say, okay, Hey, we're working with, you know, I don't know, uh, Samsung. And we're saying, Hey, Samsung wants, you know, like, but you're going to have to use a Samsung phone. An artist right. prior to may have been like, oh, no, I'm going to stick with my, my iPhone. Whereas like now you're going to have to be like, you know what? I need that check. I'm still like all the pillars of this brand still matter, creativity, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to compromise on that in order to, to really make my livelihood. I don't want it to sound so like dire and sad as that, but you know, I think there, a billboard. How, does, had a, how does how do we do that without just making bullshit? You know, how do we? Well, that's because, where that's where Fader hopefully steps in, right? Where we can say, no, 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 like this artist has been making beats on their iPhone for twenty years. This is clearly not the artist that we're going to go after for Samsung. You know, like we can kind of come in and litmus test for the brand and say, does it really make sense to force somebody to use your product? Why don't we find someone who's already authentically that damn word using the product and push their creativity with it and give them the resources to do something insane and cool and interesting rather than like, Hey, we want to work with Taylor Swift. And I'm just using her as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, who probably uses an iPhone, you know, it's, I think knowing the boundaries of what your artist is willing to do and what brands they like, and having that be like available the second my team like reaches out is like how you win this. So like, philosophically, bring it out, you know? What I, what the category that I put what you just described into is, is it's effectively a moral check and balance. You know, it's a taste yeah, yeah, check and balance. I don't believe in that. I don't think that works. Why? And I think that if the machine can, the machine will. <laughs> the machine has a directive to, sure. to do what it does. Sure. What it does is grow and control. And that's not evil. That's just the way the machine works and understanding sure. the, the way, why the machine exists and, and its form and its motivations. So yes, y'all can be a moral check and balance saying do this cool thing because 
it'll be more valuable being cool and authentic and all of that. But it has limits, I think. Totally. And it, it, it requires a beautiful alignment of personalities and, and, you know, a scenario where someone, where a brand, you know, marketer person with the budget, like can make the, the moral, the cool decision. And most of the time that's not going to happen. So that's how I see it. And how do we, as you know, as an industry of the people who want to do cool shit, like how does, how does that become the incentive I look at like Me Too as I was having this conversation yesterday as like Me Too became a Me Too scaled a moral check and balance to create a scenario whereby you weren't just picking, you weren't just hiring this, this, you weren't hiring with diversity because diversity is cool and diversity is nice and it makes for a better, you know, vibe. You were hiring because your company was incentivized now to have women and people of color in the workplace because if they didn't people would stop buying your products that became a real the machine incentive so i don't know like in this next chapter how do we incent with brands being more susceptible sorry with artists being more reliant and more susceptible to you know bullshit activations yeah how, how do we invert that and how, how do we make it i don't know how do, well, how do we make it better? I mean, I think the way to make it better, obviously, like I said, is to continue building that relationship with your audience. Because when you come with an audience and an engaged audience, you have more leverage, right? And you can mm-hmm. stay sort of true to who you are as an artist. And then you combine it with someone like Fader or Pitchfork or whoever. You know, I, I don't want to keep making it seem like we're the only answer here. We're not. Um, now you have like an actual, again, that tastemaker, an audience that's engaged, and then an influencer or artist, if you you know want to use the correct word. That's kind of like, that's kind of it, right? Like, that's what you want. You want everybody to sort of win and have this be in a place of like all positives and thumbs up. Yeah. And then the brand, because you kind of have two parts of that pyramid we were talking about earlier, saying one thing the brand will give in a little bit. You know, the fader doesn't work with brands that don't respect our taste and our decision-making. We're too small a publication for somebody to come to us and want to roll, like, you know, to railroad all over. It's not why you come to us. So like when we do work with a brand, we can push back and say, no, it doesn't make sense for that. That's going to maybe make the wrong waves in that community or in that universe or whatever. Again, so your not- position as a gatekeeper is more important than before. Correct. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think especially, we, I know you were earlier trying to sort of get, like, what can that 27-year-old manager do? Like, sure, you can blow up my inbox. Uh, you know, for better or for worse, my inbox might not appreciate that. And maybe I won't. But I respect that. No, 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 it's not about the contact. I'm saying what is the presentation? What, what are yeah. they... What has to arrive in your inbox or not necessarily even in your inbox, in your purview, in your awareness? Yeah, I mean, think for me, a priority. I think the create the music has to be good, right? I know that sounds so silly, but the actual creative oh, project. That's the first part, be, yeah. You know, it has to be good. And then you have to have an artist that's like, I don't want to say a star because that puts too much pressure on it, but someone who has a personality and a point of view and is willing to express those things that's somebody who should be doing brand partnerships, you know, because they can speak from who they are 
Mm-hmm. And then once you kind of identify those things, then everything else is just like, again, checking off, like, does this person reach 18 to 24 year olds? Like all that shit, like eventually comes and it all gets checked off. But like, if you don't have an artist and you haven't had a, a frank conversation with your artist about what they're willing to do on behalf of the brands they love, like that's what you need to do first, right? Like you need to really figure out like, Hey, my artist is Adidas, not Nike. My artist is blah, blah, blah. But like, and it's, comes from personal preferences it comes from maybe what the brands stand for all these things like figure what that is and then bring that to me because then i can keep my that in mind when i'm getting an rfp from adidas when i'm getting you know what i mean as opposed to now i have to go hunt you down and get that information and it's going to take three days because the communication between artists and managers is always takes three you know right like have that at the table and be like hey this is my artist this is their epk and like here are the brands they love we would love for you to keep them in mind right and that's it you know and like tell me that they reach women or or men or you know where their big cities are because we do a lot of local campaign stuff too so like if we're doing like we just finished something for bacardi where we had to do, we did events in several cities, right? Like if your artist is huge in Chicago, let me know that, you know, because then I can find partners if we're doing something in Chicago that are like, right. oh, here's an artist where now we can do something in Chicago and we can tap into them and to their network, as opposed to telling me like, oh, we're huge all over the place. Sometimes that doesn't, that isn't helpful. <laughs> so they need to be, coordinating yeah they need where to their audiences are and yeah. preparing that and presenting it to you in a way that you can really just assign it you know like a yeah, line and, and it you know i would love for it to be a conversation every time but like that's not that's not feasible right just from like a time in the day sort of standpoint i would love to know more about every single artist and what they want to do oh, sure yeah you know but if you give me that information, the other thing too is it's like I've been doing this long enough where even if you give me half of what I just said, I can also help push in the right direction, right? Where it's like, oh, cool, this artist is really into women and she happens to love makeup. Well, let's go do something in beauty together, you know? And she happens so to. So be- use the case study. So tell me about Fader Fort, you know, yeah. 2020 yeah. that you just got through. Yeah. What was, what was that like? You know, what was that whole process like? <laughs> I, mean, I guess because not everyone will know like maybe introduce like what happened yeah, yeah. you know um so fader fort is the tentpole event property for um fader um that we do every year and we've been doing today this year would have been our 18th year um and it happens at south by southwest um in austin texas it's also happened in new york and a couple of other cities over the years during things like cmj and, and whatnot um and yeah really what it is is it's a music festival put on by the fader um, that I showed- was at the original. I was there since the beginning. Nice. nice. It started Backyard out- barbecues. Yeah, it started out as like a hotel room in Texas and just sort of evolved. Thanks actually to Levi's um, who um, saw that they wanted to reach artists um, who were doing South by Southwest because especially in the beginnings of South by it was like a, an amazing place for discovering new music. And so Levi's essentially was like, we want to do something for these artists. And so the Fader and Levi's together like installed washing machines and had beer and barbecue and people hung out. And then it just evolved into this like mega massive music festival, 10,000 people a day, Drake headlining, blah, 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 you know? Kanye. Yeah, Kanye, you name it, they've done it. And it, and it, don't get me wrong. I mean, like 
Damon Albarn and Del the Funky Homo Sapien and Snoop Dogg doing the only live version ever right. of Clint Eastwood. Like, come on, that's these are like history-making moments mm-hmm. in music. But that being said, it's super fun. But of course, Corona hit. And so, you know, Fader Ford is one of the, it's like my baby. That's the thing that I- By the way, pin in it. It's a great episode (laughs) story of, I don't know, now it's probably 10 years ago when Fader Ford started becoming bigger than, you know, anything else at South by Southwest. And there was a conversation between Roland Swenson and Darren Klein and John and Rob and Andy about like- how do we navigate this and all the brokering of things. And there's, there's, I, I guarantee it's definitely not in the book, but like, you know, like all the times, you know, the, the hatred and then the love and like the, <laughs> but there were all these back and forths over a few years of like what that was going to look like. Like, Oh wait, so you have this thing that you're making, you know, probably tens of millions of dollars on and, and, it, and there's tens of thousands of people coming and, uh, and we, built this thing that it wouldn't exist without that and hmm yeah well and and that's where that relationship is now right they're very symbiotic in the sense that like now there's now they're all good yeah 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 Um, there was a few years and that was all before my time so thankfully they had to invent what that relationship looked like yeah totally they had to you know there's the lacoste party at coachella Mm -hmm. that like lacoste spends a lot of money on and before way before there was a conversation between John and Rob and Roland Swenson, founder yeah. of South by, and they had to navigate that. And then, you know, years later, the, the David Corsos of the world and the Lacostes were like, wait, but we're having an offsite party. You're having an offsite party too. Hmm. Like, and they, but John, <laughs> they've laid the template for how to do that Absolutely. relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not, also, that's a fucking cool story, but I don't know if it'll also ever. also how to bring brands to a music festival. You know, again, Fader Fort was sort of the original because Fader Ford existed because a brand and the Fader wanted to do something. And again, we're talking 18 years ago. This is a long time ago. This is before there were major brands that like- Back in the day, the after party for the show or the film premiere or whatever was just at the bar down the street. And it was just, and maybe the filmmaker or the label bought a round, (laughs) maybe. Like if you got there for 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. it was like uh, Live Oak Hefeweizen (laughs) on tap for free until it runs out. Which is like a hundred thirty minutes, maybe yeah. you know, and the label picked that up or something like that. That yeah. was the that was the activation, you know. That was the yeah, yeah, or yeah. or maybe if you were super connected and forward thinking, there was a brand that paid for that hour of open bar. Yeah, at the yeah. bar down the street, or even in the same club. Yeah. That was like that was what South by was back in the day. There were no the sponsors were the 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 branded, you know. Like yeah. on the thing, on the on the convention center, the yeah. presenting spot. There were four, maybe you know, and they were they spent millions of dollars, but there was no like the after party for the yeah. film premiere sponsored no by blah blah. House. No way. Yeah, there was no, there was no press there. House. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, there were no houses. The oh. the first house was John and Rob. Yeah, you and then they made it much bigger. Yeah, and so you know, for this year, you know, Corona hit. Um, and canceled South by Southwest. Thankfully, um, prior to coming to Fader, well, Fader, we always do a live stream um, of Fader Fort anyway, right? Right. So people can see sort of the new and up and coming artists. But also, thankfully, um, in my prior job at Moog, 
I helped coordinate and produce a global live stream for 50 hours, a long ass time, um, of female and non-binary artists, which was really sick and super fun to work on. So kind of with that in mind, I was, you know, and John talking to John and Anthony and, and Rob, we were like, we got to do something. And it was like, well, why don't we try to make a live stream happen? And then it was like, well, this is, you know, now we're talking three weeks maybe before South by, um, you know, and it's like, all right, well, let's try to do it happen. And then we kind of realized the live stream wasn't going to work mostly because all of the artists were still a little trepidatious about like what was going on. And so instead of doing a lot, like a proper live stream, like you see on Twitch or whatever, we went to the artists and said, no, no, just give us some sort of exclusive content. You could have made it now, you could have made it two years ago, whatever, but we'll, we'll host them like a, a full day of Fader TV, like a broadcast, mm -hmm. as if it was Fader Fort. Because, um, you know, again, we're sort of used to sort of seeing a mix of genres, a mix of, day, you know, days and, and things like that, and DJ sets, and, and you know, Fader Fort is... You know, ASAP Rocky says this, um, which I think is one of the coolest things that's ever been said about Faderfort. Is like, <laughs> you at Faderfort, you know you made it. Like that yeah. is like it is like a bucket list item, especially in hip hop. Mm -hmm. um, for most artists, you know, Diddy writes about it beautifully in the beginning of the Faderfort book about how even him as a veteran of the industry getting on that Faderfort stage was still kind of nerve wracking. You know, and it it just has so much power, and so we didn't want to like give up this year because there were artists that we know and love wanted to show and showcase and so we just had them all send us content we asked 40 artists and ended up getting 121 so what we meant to do for a day got extended to two days because the artists were just so excited and like one of my favorite pieces Wait, you like, didn't use 121 though we did we did, we did. Oh, you did wow okay wow. but yeah, I, I didn't watch the whole thing i mean i don't no, think no, no, I it's fun. you know and what we did wow, was 121. I didn't realize it was that many. I thought it was like 40. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing? And so what we were able to do was just like we kept all the content up for 24 hours. So it felt exclusive. It mm. felt like Fader Fort where you could. There was a moment. Yeah. 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 And then from that, all the artists got the licensing back and everybody, you know, everybody won. The artists got to showcase what they wanted to do. You know, one of my favorite. They got the seal of approval. Yeah. It reminds me of Ken right now. If you know what, what's happening oh, yeah. with Cannes Film Festival, Absolutely. they announced Absolutely. today that there's going to be no physical event yeah. and there will be a Cannes 2020, you know, branded seal effectively and um, yeah. uh, whatever, like, assignation. Um, yeah. And uh, they will present films through a few other film festivals. And that's it. And yeah. you will be able to walk around and say, you know, when you sell your film or do whatever you do with it, it will yeah. have the, you know, the, the insignia. Yeah. Um, but it's to preserve sort of like you said the uh validation yeah the value that it adds to an artist to have been there yeah absolutely and that's the thing is like you know we were able to um rumor who is a, a rapper that's up and coming who is really really buzzy right now like we were able to get one of his first performances he's ever done um which is incredible. And like, that's what Fader is there for. It's to give those moments, those highlight moments to an artist's early career. That's cool. And then, you know, what was, you know, like even something silly, like um, Guap Dad 4000, like he didn't perform. He pretended to be Gordon Scamsey and did like a fake cooking show in his like Gordon Scamsey kind of like personality. Like it showed another side yeah, of something. him. something. Yeah. But it also like just showed another side of him, which is what we were talking about earlier. Like he loves to cook. He's like a jokester. Like, 
now people know that. Whereas like if he had just like wrapped over some beats, maybe that would be cool. You know, I, and don't get me wrong, he's, an, he's hilarious and an incredible rapper. But it's about knowing like, I'm gonna do something cool and creative. And that's what we kind of created was like, this moment for artists to just be like, you know what, I'm gonna do something creative and I'm gonna get to create it myself. And the fader's not really gonna like say no you know, and I'm just going to do it. And it's just like theater for it. You get on that stage, you do whatever you want. Your 20 minutes or yours, you know? And so it was really special. Um, lot, lots of press, <laughs> which was good. Yeah. I mean, that, that just their ability to say that they did it is valuable because yeah. it's a, it's a qualification that, Absolutely. you know, if some artist reaches out to me and says, yeah, we played theater for it. It's, there's yeah. some value. There's something to that. Absolutely. Maintaining hoping, that is important. We're hoping to do another one. Um, you know, obviously pending a lot of things. Um, You're going to do another one soon? Yeah, we're hoping uh, sometime in June. Um, wow. You know, can't say too much about it. Um, of course. But uh, yeah, it'll it'll have the same things that Fader is known for, which is breaking new artists and also uh, getting some of our old favorites to maybe uh, make a surprise appearance. <laughs> so we're excited. Hopefully it'll come together. We need to manufacture moments and value at you know value uh you know qualification things like that we we need yeah. to create um like the value system is shifting i think a huge part of the value system like like with dance music uh, really the the value system is entirely on what labels have you released on and what clubs have you played yeah. and uh that's going to you know that's gone and with you know more uh, mainstream music, not, not, not that, not mainstream, like Taylor Swift, but just like not club music. Um, yeah. Like how people communicate. Oh, we got a good pitchfork review. Oh, we got a cover of fader. You know, that's going to be more important than ever because you don't get to just like play the venue that's 2,500 cap and then come back eight months later and try to play the venue that's, you know, 3,500 cap because you are qualified as having yeah. played the 2,500 cap. That's it's, gone. It's been interesting too, because I, I am a part of this brilliant um, music marketers chat that happens every Friday, um, put on by Maria and her team at Q&A. Um, I actually invited your dad to it. Um, and it's one of those things where they are talking a lot about... Wait, will you just, will you say what... It's just called music marketer. Yeah, just music marketer. It's very, oh, oh, I, I know what it is, but like to someone who doesn't know what they're what this is, will you just really quickly, but without going totally yeah. down a rabbit hole, just say what it is and how they can find it. Oh, it's it's called music marketers, and it's put on by Q and A. That's it. Um, it's a really easy, just like um, it is for people who are actually marketing in the industry. So it tends to be people from labels. Um, and, you know, it's just like a Google hang that we all get on on Fridays to sort of talk about the problems in the industry, you know, not just, you know, from the fader perspective, but also what does it mean to be a label and having a hard time breaking a new artist right now? Because without touring, it's really hard to break a new artist. You know, if they can't get in front of people, how do you do that? And one of the things that we were talking about is like, this is something that I think would be really relevant to your listeners is like, if you're an artist, whatever level you are, like bring another friend that's an artist on your IG live, like use each other's networks and fans right. 
and whatnot and just give each other expo i hate the exposure word but like give each other exposure because now you're that's what we're fader is trying to do right we're trying to align you with fader fort or our content or whatever like you can also do that with your friends and especially if you have a bigger artist friend like what does it mean to go live and just to have a conversation you're now building that fan base in a way that you wouldn't be able to do that you can't do because we're, we don't have touring so when you were talking a little bit earlier about like the seal of approval of like venues the seal of approval now are again places like fader but it's also your fellow artists like use each other work with each other create together but also like support one another because that's the only way that we're going to get out of this What's going to happen to Moogfest? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been there in a, over a year. So over two years, God. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Do you think artists should release music, original new music during quarantine or they should wait? I absolutely think they should release <clears throat> it now. Um, you have a captive audience who's looking for something, um, something to connect to, something to do. Um, and again, People have time. Time is such a beautiful resource that we never ever have. Like, capitalize on the time. You know, what have you like been doing time. with your time that you hadn't done before? Right, exactly. And you're like, no, I'm, I'm asking you. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, me personally, I've been reaching out and really connecting more with other people in the industry. When it's my day to day life, I'm very focused on like building these partnerships, which are very like A plus B equals C. This brand plus fader plus artist. You know, like it's very insular and very quick and and but now I have the time to reach out to my friends at Glassnode or to reach out to my friends who work at other agencies or artists and just, or brands and just be like, Hey, what do you, what do you guys want to do? Like just having a conversation is like forward momentum. Um, in my personal life, one of the things that I, it's like an ethos for me is like, just move forward. It stems from my horseback riding career where like forward means like impulsion it means you're moving it doesn't necessarily mean straight ahead it just means you're moving and in horseback riding if you don't have if you're not forward you will crash into a fence you, you know like bad things happen because you need that impulsion you need that energy you need that drive in order to jump a fence that's six foot high yeah well that same lesson gets brought back to reality for me where it's like i've been so focused on moving forward that like now I can broaden where I'm moving forward from instead of just making business. Now I can get to know the people that I'm working with, the artists, the, you know, the people in the industry, the brands, and be like, let's really think about building something and build something cool and interesting. And of course that hits all your KPIs, but like now's the time to be as creative as goddamn possible. Like let's not just make like a dumb television, like ad, let's make something incredible. Yeah. That's what I've been doing. Okay. Tell me about, I know we talked about this a couple times over the last, you know, couple months. Um, you're managing a bunch of young people like in house employees. Yeah. Um, something that I've been thinking about and noticed is like, like, so I'm, I'm 35 years old and it's not that important to me at this stage to, I was talking just before I was with you, like, yo, if I have five days with like a, nothing with no phone you know with not and like a book that i want to read like yeah. i'm reading this book that i've wanted to read forever house of leaves oh, mark danielewski you read it oh cool it's literally right above me it's so oh good. amazing well i it's been right above me for like years and i've just never done it and i'm finally doing it and i'm like i'm like a third of the way in now 
anyway, but, um, (laughs) I, uh, like I was saying, like, if I could just be in, like, I'm whatever, I'm not going to go into this now, but I'm in a ridiculously beautiful situation on the ocean in Mexico in a great house. I could just sit here for five days and read that book and literally talk to no one, drink my tea. That's it. But when you're 25, you give a shit about like romance and meeting people and having experiences and getting, you know, like having sex and stuff. And like, I don't know, what's the, you you and I are, are similar age and like, we, I think like have sort of sit similarly on like, I'm more, I think you get more excited about like making stuff and whatever than you do like being around a nice group of people for fucking 45 minutes and having Jack and Cokes. Like, I don't really care. I did that. Yeah. But there's young people who haven't. And I don't know, like around here, there's, there's not that many people where I am, but I see there's like groups of young people and they were like socializing together way before now everyone's socializing because everyone's been quarantined for months and no one's sick, but they were doing it like right away. They were just like, fuck it, whatever. Like, I don't know. So talk to me about like, you've, you've been intimate with, you've been like close with all these young people. What, what's the difference in psychology? You know, I think, um, especially in music, it's something that you do with your heart um, and a lot of passion because it is intensely and intimately and intently full of heart and passion. So like, you know, I'm 36, about to be 37 in 10 days. Hey, oh. I'm going to have a terrible birthday. I'm sorry. I know, I know, I know. We're going to not pay attention to it. You'll have a cupcake with a candle that you blow out and you'll FaceTime someone and yeah, have to to yeah. have to feel good with that <laughs> cry into my martini uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's like that's that line in um uh oh god what's the name of the movie with penelope cruz and tom cruise oh vanilla sky, vanilla sky. Yeah. oh she's the saddest girl to ha- hold a martini well oh yeah yeah uh, anyway um you know i think music is just full of passion and people who are who love it and so what i have tried to instill in the in the the young folk that I work with is like, it is absolutely okay to be passionate and and into it and, and, and wanting to make these connections and wanting to do these things in real life, but also like take care of yourself too. Because Are they? Like, I mean, I think they're, they're doing it better than we did when we were younger. You know, like when I was 25, I was going out because oh, health and wellness is trending yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think they're doing it better than we did. And I think, you know, I talk to my teammates every day, A, because I have to, but B, because I care about them, right? And so when they're having a shitty day and they let me know, like, I'll stop sending them emails because this is a crazy time. Like, I don't want them to feel the stress of like having to perform their job at a high level when they're also like afraid the world is going to end. Don't get me wrong. There is always a fine line. Do they, do they feel that despair? Do you, do you, is that I mean, part of their yeah, up and down regularly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a part of my up and down. Yeah. So I was, I, that was my next, I was like, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's like sort of like a communally bonding experience, you know, like especially um, the strategist that's on my team. She's really incredible. Her name's Madeline. Like I actually feel like this has brought us closer together because I will flat out be like, Madeline, I'm losing my goddamn mind today. You're having like shared despair. Yeah. And also just like removing the line of like bullshit, which is like, I don't want to say professionalism is bullshit, but like. You can be people, not just people working in a place. Yeah, Right. And it's also like in a weird way without being in each other's 
face every day, you're also removed from it being personal. So like if I'm having a shitty day because I'm not seeing her every day, it makes it a little bit easier to be like, Shana's having a shitty day because this is a shitty thing and not because she's feeling that way towards me. Mm -hmm. I actually think it's been really positive for the growth of the team at Fader. While unfortunate that like, you know, several of our colleagues are furloughed and this industry is like up for question marks because advertising in general is like a, a, a yeah in turmoil, whatever. Like it, it has been doing a lot of like beautiful things of like bringing the team together and everybody just being like, let's get it done. You know, it's like, that's an amazing mentality to have. That's what we should always have, but it's amazing that we have it now. I wonder what, so I, I like, I don't, I'm not experiencing the ups and downs of despair and whatnot, as I know a lot of other people are. And I think about that. I wonder if it's because I'm in Mexico, I'm isolated, I'm very, very safe, I have a pleasant situation, or if there's some, if my brain doesn't operate the same way as other people. I don't know. I, I think about it. Yeah. Uh, I don't I know. You know me. I, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, like I'm in New York City, I'm in the East Village right now, right? I'm in the heart of the, of the, of this, the eye of the storm, if you will, to use like silly colloquialisms, you know, and, but I'm lucky. I have a patio that I can go out on, you know, That's I, cool. I, you know, like I have space that I can still be outside and not feel trapped in a closet in, you know, but don't get me wrong. I still have panic attacks when I go outside. I know. Sorry, you're trapped in a closet. It was a <laughs> <Yeah>. midget. <laughs> Sorry. That's just like, <laughs> We should never give that man any airtime. So, no. <laughs> um, I, I get it. You I did said it. it. You said trapped in the closet. Like, yeah, I know. I did. And I'm, <laughs> I'm very sad with myself. But that being said, like, I go outside and I don't see people wearing masks and it, and it freaks me out. It definitely, like, makes me be like, whoa. You know? Um, whereas, like, prior to this, you know, I would go out drinking and dancing and having a good time and share a joint and all the, like, all these things that you sort of took for granted. Like now I'm having second thoughts about those things. And I think that's where the anxiety comes from, right? Is like you're being put face to face with those interactions. Second thoughts on doing them because they might be dangerous, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like sharing a joint with my roommate is like, you know, we, we talk every day. But like I wouldn't go stand outside and just like hand my joint off to like a stranger walking by who's like, yo, who can I get a hit on that? Yo, we shook hands. Yeah, yeah. Just like I, I, I'm, I'm a weirdo, so I've, I've not touched things for, I don't know, for a yeah. long time. I'm yeah. not OCD. It, it just occurred to me a long time ago, like, why do people touch things? So you, I, like, yeah. you know how I dress, like I wear my fingerless gloves and I wear, my, I wear a, a tie around my waist. Yeah. That's on purpose because the fingerless gloves allows me to do things, but also cuts off just a huge amount of touching that occurs. And the, uh, the, the tie as a belt is for doorknobs and stuff like that. Like it, it's, I, I wear it for other reasons. Cause it's just nicer than like wearing a belt. I think belts are fucking stupid. Like, why do you want to put metal on your body if you don't have to? I think it's fucking stupid to put metal on your body. It's an irritant. Um, so a tie is fucking awesome. And it's also aesthetically there's whatever, there's a thing that I do, but um, I don't touch things. And I'm like, I go places and I'm like, like, what's so crazy is I will go days without touching anything. I'll go, I'll go on the subway. I'll go to the movies. I'll go, I'll go do all these things, and I won't touch anything. And then I'll just shake somebody's hand. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I've not been doing this my whole life. I will go to all these efforts to not touch anything, and then I'll just shake a stranger's hand. Nice to meet you. Yeah. I don't know you yet. I have no 
I have no frame of reference on you. I am meeting you now and I am touching your hand. I just spent all day not touching anything and now I just touched your hand. Not only did I receive all the things that you have touched all day, because I doubt you're like me, but I just got your body on my body. You are a stranger (laughs) and I touched you. Yeah, I mean- That's crazy that we did that. It is crazy. And it's also just like, it also makes you, I don't know if anybody else has been feeling about this, but like, it also makes you sort of reevaluate your friendships too. And I don't mean that in a like a- Like who do I want to touch? Yeah, but not only who do I want to touch, but also like who's taking this seriously, right? Like who, like what friends are, you know, playing football on a Saturday 62 days into this? Like, wow, okay, you obviously don't care about- I wonder like who I know who went to those parks the other day. Well, and you know, I know- Because I live right there. You live on the east side, I live on the west side. I live right next to those places. And yeah, like my, I think my ex-girlfriend was staying in my house and I was like, please tell me like, you're not, I like texted her and I was like, don't go to the fucking but that's what I'm saying. Like, like, it happens in Brooklyn too. And seeing my friends or- Of course it happens in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is the worst. <laughs> South Brooklyn's fine. No one in South Brooklyn would do it. But in East, I know you're referring to East Brooklyn, like fucking Williamsburg. That's a, that's a hellhole. That is a fucking, that is a uh, devastation. Williamsburg. I hope all those people get sick and they die. I hope they, I hope all of Williamsburg, fuck all those people. Anyway, if you live in Williamsburg, fuck you. Fuck your culture vulture bullshit. I hate you. I hate, I hate everything you've done to the whole world. I hate how you go to other places in the world. Like, like you go to fucking Mexico and you turn Mexico into Williamsburg. Fuck you. I hope you all get COVID-19 and die. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Those are Sean's words. (laughs) Again, prefacing it with uh, a little, a little bit of decorum. I, do I wonder if you can it. get food in Williamsburg now because it's impossible to get food in Williamsburg normally, like in any way, ordering takeout well, or going into a restaurant. I wonder if you can get food today. You can de- I, I think you can get takeout. You can't sit anywhere. We're so close. I just like, mean like there's always, they're just so yeah. overwhelmed all the time. Like it's impossible. That's if you true. try and just go to a restaurant on like a, a Wednesday night in Williamsburg, eight, eight o'clock, like it's impossible. impossible. There's no, you can't no. nourish yourself. Here's a question for you, though. Do you Mm -hmm. think that, um, you know, you remember, like, early aughts New York probably just as well as I do. Um, And it was was, kind of I was in high school, yeah. Yeah, it was, like, probably beautiful. You know, it it was beautiful and fun, and you had all these cool spaces, like, you know, Death by Audio and, and all these amazing spots where you could see, like, music, and it didn't feel, like, corporatized, right? It felt... A part of a scene but like a, not not seen in the way that like we mean it now with like hipsters and Williamsburg and whatnot but like a scene in the sense of like you went to that party and you saw your friends but you yeah. also saw their friends and they all cared about you know that band that was playing that night it was a little bit more community-based do you think that all of this is going to make more of those spaces happen short answer yes absolutely um you know what give me two minutes let me I want to I want to go make another cup of tea and and no I'll be right back. Yeah, no uh, problem. Hold on, I'm going to pause this so that it uh Yeah, no problem. I got more tea. This is from Yame. I had this I'm in Mexico and I had this during COVID-19 shipped from Fukuoka. Damn. Very exciting. I'm uh in your honor I'm drinking some hibiscus tea that I brewed. Oh good. 
Um, yeah, the, I mean, the future iterations of this show will be property together, you know, so we'll have to do another episode Yeah, I would love with it. real, like, we'll make tea and stuff. And that's kind of one thing I want to do for the show is like, have like a tea, like, I want to, I want to like promote a tea farm or yeah. a distributor, someone in the tea world. So like, this is like Zen Sha from Yame that I'm drinking right now. And, um, like instead of me just drink, I want it to be like part of the thing and I want to like make it and talk about it and like ideally have the, the farmer or the cultivator, whatever on and talk about it a little bit and stuff like that. Um, anyway, okay. Back to, so your question is like super pertinent and, uh, something that, um, there, you know, it's like a three part man. This is, I mean, it, it, this is a whole, like, this is, this is, this is a book. Um, this is like, like meet me in the bathroom is like the introduction that's sort it's sort of like read meet me in the bathroom and then you can read the book on this question, you know, cause it's like, there's so much text, so, so much text to it. So, um, pre COVID-19 post COVID-19, like, so the thing that I say about scenes in the most, in the broadest sense, I think that people don't understand or respect the framework around the shift. And there, something happened that it's not, it's just not understood. We were the, we, we felt, experienced, created the end of a framework. And our parents existed within that framework. Our great-grandparents existed within that framework. And that was that there was a thing. There were places and iterations of the thing. And the thing shifted, but the framework by with it did not. And it was just roll. It was hair metal. It was hip hop. It was techno. It was this bar. Then it was that bar. It was, we went to big shows. We went to small shows. We went to festivals. We went to brand activations. You know, the way that we engaged with house music or hip hop or whatever, punk. The same thing, like when EDM happened this decade, you know, in the, in the last 10 years, is the exact same mechanism as doo-wop yeah. in, in the 50s. Same yeah. mechanism. Same, if, if you, just, you could just like put a chart together and just move around like it was this club it was it was this radio personality whatever yeah what happened over the last few years is that framework stopped and what changed it was that everyone hears about everything at the same time now yeah and part of the the construction of the thing is gone the way, the process by which we needed to hear about things and activate and choose is gone. Now, the person who, so, so I've, the best scene I've ever 
been, I, I've been a part of a few scenes. I would say my favorite, you know, uh, New York City, if you want to, if you want to track, all right, okay, now, now that I'm saying this, like, I'm like, fuck, I have too many to include now. <laughs> but it was like, you know, back, it was like uh, Dark Room, Don Hills. Uh, yeah, like Bungalow 8, a little yeah. bit Lot 61 before Bungalow 8. Um, and also the Boom Boom Room, I feel like, was a part of that. So, uh, yeah, I never – so for me, it, it's kind of weird because I was a resident at Boom Boom Room, but I was the oh, second yeah. resident. The, the main resident is still there, and he's he's been doing it since day one, and he's fucking awesome. Um, but nice. I was the second resident, and I don't know. For some reason, I never had the same – experiences with boom boom room as i did bungalow was like yeah boom boom room followed bungalow but like i never like my favorite nights at boom boom room just never came close like i'm sure there were other nights that like for whatever reason i don't know maybe it was just where i was in life at that point i was more focused on like dj i I was more excited by like big warehouse parties and stuff at that point in my life and like boom boom room was this cool thing that i did like also uh (laughs) but i did tuesdays and i like it was way cooler. Like even my Wednesday at Le Baron, I loved a lot more. Like I never, I don't know. I never gave a shit about Boom Boom Room as much as I did. It was more just like so prestigious that yeah. I was the resident there. And people would just like, people would introduce me. It was like before I, before I had like, before I was the head of Connect at Apple Music, <laughs> I was the resident at Boom Boom Room. And it was so cool that people would like, People thought I knew Andre Balaz and stuff. Like, they, yeah. like, literally, like, they thought that I knew him. Like, we were, like, buds. I literally, like, I don't think I ever met the guy, like, in my entire life. But people <laughs> thought that I was, I don't know, it was this weird thing. Like, Bruno Mars used to come and play with me, and Courtney Love would tell me what to play. It was weird. Okay, that's not the point of what I'm trying to get on. Not, but you just, you brought it up, and it went in my head. That was such a crazy time. Yeah, But, um... It was, you know, it was Bungalow and then it was Beatrice Inn and then it was Cabin is my favorite because I came oh, of cabin. age for Cabin, I'm you know. Cabin. No, it's we still there. It's not the yeah, same. That is the same. No, it's, it's not, not the same. same. No. Now there's like regular people. Now it's like the Niagara crowd comes downstairs. Yeah. Oh, God. But God, I remember all those like strokes parties that would happen in Cabin and just be like, oh, a mess. A total the, mess. The best nights. Like, so, okay. So, I, Cabin was if I was at cabin, I didn't really care. I could meet whoever mm-hmm. at cabin and I didn't care yeah. about who you are, who you knew, who got you in, what you do for a living. It didn't matter. You're in cabin, period. Yeah. And, and yeah. you're just like, you're cool. Yeah. And I almost gave it like, no matter what you, no matter what you do that's not cool, I know that there's a cool thing coming. So it's like the inverse of how I treat people now, which is like, (laughs) you seem cool, but I know that there's like a bad thing coming that's going to make me not want to talk to you. So maybe I just won't fall for the cool thing. In Cabin, it was like, this girl sounds horrible and she's saying all these obnoxious things and she seems super spoiled and blah, blah, blah. But she's in Cabin. So like, I should probably fall in love with her, right? Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, that we sound so th- like assholes <laughs> but no it's uh, that's how I lived <laughs> for a long time I love it I, love it. I get it why, why were you in love what would you like oh, man I can't really describe I don't know she just like you know <laughs> but 
the process, the framework that brought me to that, you know, delusion mm -hmm. was beautiful. Yeah, of course. And that, like, I don't want to call it better and worse, but that was a beautiful thing that worked. I don't think we're, I don't think we've, uh, we've figured out the next iteration of it, but, but the, the, what has changed is that like, cabin was the way it was because johnny t jesse mallon uh matt romano renee mata uh you know a little bit nick valenzi um yep they told people and those people came and they told more people and those people came and if you got too far out there those people weren't allowed in and there was that was it and you're either like directly there or you're like not quite far enough away from the directly there and and that's who's in the room and that yep system was really really cool and that was how that all those other things that i listed worked boom boom room bungalow 8 beatrice in lot don 61 don hills apt back in the day i remember how i i remember how i got into apt lotus i remember how i got into lotus um there was a system behind it and that system is gone now um and that system has not been supplanted necessarily it's just been erased um but the system now is that everyone hears about everything at the same time and there's no there's no real qualification to how they hear about things. It could be a Facebook invite. It could be a fucking anything. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you throw a party and like, you're, you can't target. It's impossible to target. And it, you know, you can have like a birthday party. You can have like the movie premiere party for your film or something, but like the heads don't go anywhere. Like that's not a thing. There's no gathering place anymore. There's either like the most important things. Like I remember whatever it is, like two years ago, they had to cancel it this year, but like Despacio Thursday night was like, it was in, in New York City at, at the Knockdown Center. It was the first time they did it in New York. I forget if they had another one in the past or if that was the first time ever, but the Thursday, they did Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I remember everyone was there, just like the whole disco punk house music community, all the DJs were there. Like just everyone was fucking there Thursday. Friday and Saturday, the Niagara people were there and, and the bros yeah. were there. And I remember I had to like be, I had to, I had girls with me and I had to be like protective. And I was like, what is going, you know, this is, but Thursday night was the heads. And that was the, that's one time that I could think of where like James Murphy and too many DJs brought together all the people. And that was fucking awesome. And that used to be a thing that regularly happened, but it's so difficult to make that happen. That used to just be like plant bar, you know, Dom Keegan, yeah, like I was with Dom Keegan that night. Who Dom owned Plant Bar and James Murphy built the sound system there. And if you read like Meet Me in the Bathroom, it talks about all of it. And Plant Bar was like right before, it was like I was too young for Plant Bar, but I was good friends and played with everyone. When I, when I did like grow a little bit older, I, those are the guys I worked with and like I'd be playing with them. And I am honored to have, you know, direct relationships with all of them. And I was with Dom Keegan that Thursday night at, um, Despacio and uh like what he built was so fucking cool yeah. and they did it by hand and now like plant bar couldn't exist the closest thing and tell me how you feel is um is noise punk and you know the bushwick noise punk scene yeah, yeah, yeah. is that. is a I'll thing like deli girls like you go to a deli girls show and like it's in the back room of some fucked up you know shitty place and like there's no stage they're just like in the middle of the room like i, I don't know the guy's name it's you know shitney queers sings and i forget the guy's <laughs> name um 
he's just in the middle of the room on a fucking on, on his on his yeah. sound pad and like they just do it and the noise punk scene is cool but that's the only thing that i've been to in the last few years that's like a community you know that's word of mouth but when everyone hears about everything at the same time it can't fucking be cool corpus that's that's like another one like show me the body yeah, they're yeah. they're my age like they went to elizabeth Irwin. um their shit is like they do you know a fucking rundown they do a random thing that like only people hear about through them it's so difficult like all of the stuff that i used to do is terrible now all of my friends who i i left new york at the end of 2014 i moved to la and i worked more like industry stuff and then i came back in 2017 2018 something like that and i did parties for the first time in a while and everyone doing parties is are the same people who were doing it when i was there they've all just like either now they're club owners or they were promoters and now they're hosting it they're producing things whatever but like it's just it's it just got worse it's not like no one built it up and like has better the city fox guys like just they built their venue and the venue they they just you know it's super whack i mean I have a lot of hope for like a venue like public records though, right? Like yeah, a lot of care, a lot of thought and a lot of taste making is going into that venue, right? And they, you know, I don't know them personally or anything, but like- Yeah, me neither. I feel like they're at least trying, they're well, not- Who, trying to who make runs it? it, do you know? Um, I've been I, so out of it for a yeah, while now. The only person, it's in Gowanus. The only person that I know I know two people in who are connected to it. Tal, I can't remember Tal's last name. He's like the manager. And then Katie Longmire has been doing some stuff for it. So I know um, Katie, yeah. Yeah, and then Nick, Nick, who Katie hangs out with, DJ, makes incredible beats. Nick Hook? Yes, Nick Hook does a lot uh-huh. of stuff there. Nick okay. Hook is amazing. I love his So music. I still, okay, so I know roughly, yeah. Yeah. Cool. But, so like, I have a lot of hope for spaces like public records. But now we're talking about Katie, who's been doing it for, you know, Katie's my age also, our our age. Like, I love Katie. I think, you know, Brooklyn Electronic Music Festival, Jen Lyon, I love, Mean Red, all that stuff, like, is great. Um, But we're talking about, you know, people in their late 30s, like, who have, like, I don't want to be the fucking king of the scene. Like, even if I could be, I don't want to be in a scene that I'm the coolest person in that scene. I have to do other things at this point. So I don't know, like public records. I do, I do look at their programming. Like same with elsewhere, like, you know, Rami and Jake and those guys, like they program so fucking well, they've always done it since, mm-hmm. since their early, early, early days, pre-venue, um, yeah. you know, pre-Glasslands, like, like they've always programmed the best, but like, that's not a scene. That's just, they're just programming well. Like yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like you go to, elsewhere i don't know maybe maybe i'm wrong but like i don't think there's like no, you don't no. go to elsewhere like cheers the way that you were describing like you go to the venue and like you knew people like no it's whoever's there and you bought tickets for that artist that night and you go and, you, and maybe you see people because like you go to similar genres of music but you don't go to elsewhere for elsewhere like the way that i used to go to i think i think dj culture ruined everything uh <laughs> it, was, it was it was a combination of well okay like social media and whatnot uh everyone finding out about things at the same time. I don't consider that ruining everything because that's just like technology and we need to now figure out how to use that. But DJ culture did, they fucked up. We collectively fucked up that opportunity 
and we let DJ culture really fuck up a lot of things. And the, like, I've never been to a cool thing because I went for the DJ. DJs are supposed to be support yeah, for the yeah, cool yeah. thing. I've never, I remember when I was young, I wouldn't do, like when I was my first, I don't know, five years DJ, like I would not do press. I would not allow my name to even be on most flyers. I would not, you know, social media wasn't even a thing. I just, I, I was like, I'm not, that's not my role. Yeah. And then I did, I, I, I remember I, I broke up with my girlfriend and I like changed all my rules and I decided to do press and stuff and everything. I gained a shitload of like, I got way more, you know, like successful because of that, but that ruins everything. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, because when people come for the DJs, it, it, it ruins it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm really hopeful that like, because of like all these rules that will eventually be put into place of like, you know, taking temperatures or things like that, like all. Oh yeah. So what's going to happen now? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that all of, yeah, yeah. The parameters that are going to be added to it, I think will bring back a little bit of that. Cause like now you're going to have to actually like think about who you invite. You can't just blast it out because if you get, if, if you can only have, if you have a 300 cap venue and you can only have, you know, 75 people, people there, yeah. you can't just like let the first 75 in because then your party will suck. Mm-hmm. But so maybe you got to like, I know it's like keep a, it down and only hit up the heads. Yeah. It's like a fascinating, I, this is what keeps me up at night in like a good way. Like what is the future of live not just live music but like entertainment in general especially in a place like new york that runs the only thing that can survive right now are scenes Mm -hmm. exactly you cannot operate anything that is not exactly right exactly but then also like how do we this is so weird by the way what oh the the fact that you can't see your cup (laughs) um yeah no i mean i agree and it kind of makes me really hopeful though because like maybe from that it is exciting yeah better art will be made and like better experiences would be made you know it's definitely not gonna hurt you know economically the whole thing is fucked but uh scene wise you know culturally creatively it will not hurt because it will weed out the people who are just in it for the money because there won't be money in it for the clout yeah, people who were just showing up because it was like the trending thing on Eventbrite or something. Like, and it was like, if you like this, you'll like this. Like, that's yeah. why DJ culture fucks things up because it's like, I follow DJs now. And yeah. because I follow DJs, I go to events and that's how I make my decisions. And oh my God, that's a horrible way to be alive. Like, <laughs> but that's the way that most people get their information now. It's like, I follow Lee Foss on Eventbrite and it gets served to me that he's playing Brooklyn Mirage in two and a half months. Get your tickets now, early bird. Like, yeah. fuck, that's not cool. <laughs> no, like, tell me he's playing tomorrow and tell me today. Yeah, like, like tell me 11 p.m. or tell me 4.45 a.m., you know, mm-hmm. at an address where I walk down a dock and a boat takes me some, whatever, like. <laughs> yeah, all that weird two shit. Two and a half months from now, $65 early bird tickets going up to 125 so that I can, you know, go like this. Yeah. With a bunch of fucking people from other places, like fuck. I also think, like in a weird way, like my, you know, one of my just to sort of keep t- talking the shit. I love about how it. I meant. I said Lee Foss of all people. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that I hate the most, right, at shows is when 
you see somebody standing the entire show at a dj like, oh, show oh, oh, yeah oh god even that's even worse right like that's just like an, an egregious sin but like doing it at like even a venue like webster hall like sure. like why why well you're never gonna go look at that footage again I mean, that's been a thing for a while that, and people are I'm still hoping, doing it. Yeah. I'm hoping COVID will make people stop doing that <laughs> because like there will be 20 people in a room. People are going to look at you funny now. Right. Like, let the artists do So are we going to have shows with just like people standing far away from each other? Is that going to, is that really like, that's oh so crazy. I hope not because that, that ruins it for me. I like the idea of like, you know, commuting in front of a band I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do but what's think, gonna what's gonna happen? Well, I mean, I, who knows? But I I like the idea though that these times are gonna force some of the bigger bands to go back to smaller rooms. That to me is interesting, right? Like we were talking about earlier, John Mayer doing ten nights at Brooklyn Steel at you know a third of the capacity. We're just using John Mayer as a as a, an example, right? Not for taste by any means, <laughs> but. What does it mean to somebody see somebody like that who normally plays stadiums now play a smaller venue mm-hmm. and really put on a show that's different every single night? Like a band that I think has done that well in current times is LCD Sound System, right? When they yeah. held in Brooklyn Steel, you could go to all seven shows and see a different show every night and it was incredible. I yeah. know because I did. You know, like it was nuts how different every show was, but also each one was like, immensely moving and powerful and fun and just like full of life like i'm excited for that to happen obviously the room will be a third of the size full but (laughs) what's going to happen to i know you you care about it you are a customer what's going to happen to vinyl physical anything i mean that yeah i mean i hope vinyl sales go up because that money goes more directly into the pockets of an artist they can't the factory burned down right before like the everyone's going to be so far behind between the disease well, between covid and the factory burning down it's going to be months. Well, no, i mean you know third man still has their printing there's a couple of factories oh no third still- man's fine i but like the the biggest factory i forget what it's yeah. called but the biggest factory burned down is it united pressing i don't remember i don't think united burned down i think it's another one um, I, I didn't know one that. of the t- one of the three there's three factories that oh, yeah. distribute like 90% of the vinyl and one of them burned down yeah, like a month before this all happened I honestly didn't see that which is crazy um yeah I mean I think to me vinyl already already has like a special place it's a part of my daily routine like you've probably seen on my Instagram like I pick a record and I make sure to listen to it for the day like you know and it's not just hearing that song, that hit song, it's hearing the entire body of work. I, you know, maybe I'm like old and not like of the TikTok generation where like, it's just like- I've never been on TikTok. No, God, no. Don't bore us, get us to the chorus, but like, <laughs> you know, like- Oh my God, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, that's how, that's what I think about music on TikTok. Um, don't, you know, and TikTok has its, has its place. It's helping to break artists too, and that's cool, but like, Anyway, you know, as for someone like me who cares about, again, we've talked about this a lot earlier, like I care about giving resources to the artists, like vinyl means something to me. I also care about high fidelity sound. That means something to me. I understand that that doesn't mean something to everybody, and it really doesn't mean something to most people, but I still think there are enough of us around that will keep it alive and Mm -hmm. that will, 
you know, see it for the worth of it. Like, I'm going to buy this record to support this artist because now I have this thing that supports them far better than streaming something, a song on Spotify ever did. So, I mean, that's going to, you know, Bandcamp is going to be that for yeah. sure, whether it be physical or digital, but Bandcamp is going to be, I was telling my dad, like, he's got to start, like, he should be on the board of Bandcamp or something. Like, yeah, I mean, I think Bandcamp has been doing everything they possibly can considering yeah. they're an independent company. Like, I mean, I spent... Again, I'm coming from a position of privilege here where I still have a job and whatever, but I spent Bandcamp much, Fridays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I spent as much money as I possibly could. Yeah. Because I wanted to give Moses Sumney like, you know, $35 so he can still have a life and make music. You Moses, know? that shouldn't be your reference. He's got a record deal. He's got people paying. He's got brand deals. He just did a colors show on I Friday. Know. Moses is not the is not the poor me. Moses is fine. <laughs> I still love him. He's still incredible. Moses has a has a, a trainer. He's good. <laughs> <laughs> but he may not be good forever. I know, but I just mean there's people that if I'm gonna look at Bandcamp, who's the poster child of Bandcamp Fridays? I'm not looking at Moses no, someday. No, 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 like, <laughs> he just did a colors show on Friday, which yeah. is massive. He doesn't need band. I mean, he does, he needs Bandcamp as much as anyone. But I mean, uh, he's got advances and revenue streams and stuff like that there's a lot of people that have lost like moses is not making his money on webster hall or brooklyn steel moses moses is really probably like doing good out of all of this because he has the fashion stuff he has the he's a he's a person you know he's a personality he's doing it he was he was he's well positioned i imagine to to rock this but there's a lot of, like, I mean, the DJ community is just like, yeah, I, depressed, like depressed, emotionally depressed, uh, you know, economically. Like, yeah, of course. It's really, I don't know. And, and I, I go into ways of it is like, I'm also, I tell my friends, I'm like, stop fucking live streaming your DJ sets. Like, stop making, play, like, who gives a fuck? Like, who needs your stop fucking- making it worth nothing. Right? It's you're just, it, yeah, it's just worthless. It's just like, like, there's, there's millions of hours of of playlists and and live djs and they're like yeah but we're doing it live and i'm like what's the difference between a live like like i I was saying to my friend the other day i was like i was like how about this like do do a pretend live stream and then do a real live stream and like see like what who cares like there's no interaction it's you're just fucking djing like someone could be listening on mixcloud to any of the number of unlimited hours that are on there is like adding more DJ said this is just it's the desperation though of the DJ community of just like what the fuck else do they do well, and how do they keep themselves relevant the other thing that's so interesting about that too is like also in a weird way like are those DJs getting the clearances and the licenses to play those songs on their live streams probably not and that's you know like that's kind of like a dangerous line to walk a little bit you know Diplo when he did his big one he did you know they paid out all the licenses and whatnot you know, it's like, I also feel like it's a little tough for somebody to then be profiting off of the creativity of another group or a person or an artist who's also equally hurting right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, a, there's like so many existential questions that are coming up with all of this that. Well, that stuff. Yeah. That stuff is sort of just like a, like Mixcloud figured it out. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I don't know what the fuck situation Dubset is in at this point, but um whatever like they'll figure out like the the, the template the yeah. precedent has been set so now that instagram live 
needs it and podcasts need it, they'll, they'll get there. It'll take a while, but they'll get there and it'll be fine. I'm not too concerned. Like I was talking to someone yesterday and they were just saying that I should like put DJ mixes in the podcast, which is totally not legal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would rather separate them and do it on a like mix cloud or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, even like even if you're like messing with some of the major labels, like they won't they won't label white label like putting things on YouTube. Like Yeah, someone yes, someone's like telling me that it's like Universal like won't like it doesn't matter who it is. Uh-huh. They will not white label that you can put music on YouTube. Like, you know, and use it in a DJ mix, which is like I mean, they shouldn't, you know. No, no, I, I mean, I, you know, again, yeah. I agree with you because, like, all these artists need to get paid, but it's just, like, such a, a lot of interesting questions, I think, are coming up because of all of this. Yeah, I don't know. We're not, we're not two people that, need, <laughs> that, that people need to listen to debating this. Yeah, yeah. I like to think about things of, like, what is, you know, like, you have certain things that you're an expert on, and really? I want people to hear you tell the like the inside stuff, but like you and I speculating on this stuff is bullshit. It's just noise because like we're not experts on this and we can speculate all day, but it's just fucking, that's like what most podcasts are is people just like taking questions that they have nothing to do with and like giving their fucking two cents and pontificating. And yeah, that's fucking stupid and that's why i don't listen i I hate podcasts i don't listen to anyone's fucking podcasts my friend yesterday was telling me like you know listen to the go through the top 10 podcasts and just like listen a ton and just sort of make yours like a you know combination of those formats and i was like that sounds like first of all just the chore of listening to all of them sounds like hell and then making (laughs) one that is the that is the frankenstein of you know joe rogan and gary vaynerchuk and fucking Tim Frost. Yo, I sat next to dinner. I, I sat, I sat, I went I was on a, I was at South by Southwest one year and Tim Ferriss and I went to like a small dinner and they bust us there and then sat us next to each other at the dinner. And I didn't know that it was Tim Ferriss. And like, I knew I found out later, like when we all did like around the table, but it was like, we spent like three hours together sitting next to each other before I knew who I was talking to. We were just, you know, I was Sean, he was Tim. And I just remember, I was just like, fuck this guy. Shut the fuck up, man. Like, I don't give a fuck about like all the things that you're telling me about yourself and your fucking tone of voice talking to me like you're presenting me and just like, fuck all those people. I want nothing to do with any of those people. I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the this of that, especially not of those fucks. They're so shitty. I feel that. God, I hate all those people. Um, Okay. Last two things and then let's wrap. Uh, I libertines and croissants. <laughs> Talk to me about those things. Oh my god! Oh, both of those <laughs> things are like the two nearest and dearest things to my heart. Um, I just, yeah. I for some reason revisited the catalog of libertines like oh two weeks god. ago. Went through the whole thing: Carl Barat and and oh Baby Shambles, all of it, and the new stuff. So I listened good. to the new record. Yeah, I mean the oh god, the libertines. I mean. You know, if you don't know about that band, it's because you're young or you lived under the ro- under a rock in the early 2000s. Um, but yeah, I mean, seeing them, they were one of those bands that, like, I don't want to say my white whale because that sounds so fucking lame. But like, I had been dying to see the Libertines live since 2004, 2003, when I found out even who they were. You know, like, I just 
with Pete's like drug problems and stuff like they very rarely played America like or I was like in college and couldn't get there you know just like life happened La Zona Rosa 2003 or 4 I don't know but yeah (laughs) at South by Southwest yeah I mean that's I mean I'm pretty great it was great yeah they're a total mess and it's the you know, it was like Zeitgeist. That band was a, like a Zeitgeist band. They were the spirit of the time, you know, mm-hmm. messy rock and roll, like privileged, but not privileged. It was, oh God, it was so good. Um, but yeah, I got to see them. It was very fortunate. I, I made it sort of my treat for the year was like, I left, you know, um, working fader. I went on holiday vacation or whatever. And I flew to London by myself, no friends. And I went and saw this, the Libertines by myself twice in a week and just like at um, Brixton Academy, which is now the Brixton O2, which is like 5,000 people, like massive venue, you know, pissed drunk, like high as hell and just like had the best possible time screaming along like the, you know, the lyrics to like what Katie said with like 4,999 other English people. It was the best thing. I mean, it was incredible and they're still a great band and even though they're older and sober or not sober or whatever they're still like there's still that magic and that chemistry between all of them that like makes that music just like transcend whatever bullshit went on you know um and especially seeing them in london right that's like a city that they're coming they are birthed from it was like amazing just to be with people who equally felt that passionate about the band like you didn't go to that show just because you wanted to be there. You went there because it was you had to be there, you know. And it was it was incredible. I had the best damn time. I can't even tell you what happened during the show because it was just like a total like elation the entire time. Is so to me, other than you know, can't stand me now. Uh, what a waster! Oh, was the signature song. But if you go on Spotify or you read the bios and whatnot, which I did, I just like wanted to see like, what is the story? Like, how does the story of this band go now, you know, in 2020? What a waster. No, I know I've done it. What a waster is not one of the bigger songs. And it's not even really like mentioned as a single in the bio and stuff. To me, it was, you know, that was the song before their second album with Can't Stand Me Now. Yeah. What a waster was the song. Yeah, and is that is that a signature I, I song or no? Like, I, yeah, um, the the song that kind of, to be honest, I'm so bad at like dates and times and things like that and record titles, which is hilarious. But the song that kind of made them I knew most about them from was um, "What Became of the Likely Lads." That All to right. me was like the like the song that got them on my radar and was like. Oh, yes, because it's also like a song about their like camaraderie and their friendship. And it kind of like introduced the band in a way where it was like, oh, yes, okay, I get this now. It's like raucous, you know, British rock and roll and they're drunk and they're fighting, but they're also best friends and maybe they're dating and maybe they're not. And it's all a mess, you know, Um, they're certainly making out on on camera all the time. So who knows, you know, and now Kate Moss is involved and da, 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 you know, I mean, yeah, what became of the Likely Lads? And when we when I saw them. That was like the big song that people screamed to. Okay, you know? like, all right. Because I also feel like it. that also, again, was like a zeitgeist song where it was like England was feeling a little like it was coming into its own because like not, you know, American rock and roll, New York rock and roll had had, was hard, 
had its moment two to three years prior, right? Like yeah, yeah. The strokes preceded all the English ones. That all the thes happened right after the strokes. Right. Yeah. But then, like you know, the Libertines happened, and like that song kind of took all of that New York rock and roll and put it on steroids to me. Uh huh. You know, and that's what it sort of felt like. It like gave a it shone a light on, you know, the British side of all these things, even though those bands were doing it before the Strokes were. You know. Yeah, I mean, today there's there's very little of the New York. I think like, whatever, this is another thread, but we don't need to go down it. But, uh, you know, the Strokes and Hamilton Lighthouse are yeah. putting records out on the same day in 2020. <laughs> or you know what? I can make my joke here because I, I, I edited it out of my article that, that you read. I cut it because I was like, why am I being mean to the Strokes? Like, But I wrote, it's really funny that in 2020, the Strokes and Hamilton are putting records out on the same day. And yeah. ironically, the Strokes are talking about the strokes 2020 are talking about the same subjects that Walkman and Hamilton talked about in 2002. Yeah. And <laughs> they're, they're coming around to the yeah. same, uh, you know, I used to go out. I knew everyone I saw. No, I go out alone. If I go out at all, now yeah. the strokes are talking about that <laughs> 20 years later. But, uh, I don't know, you know, there's the Walkman, the strokes, like, I don't know. That's it. Like, there's not really anything else that, you know, I mean, uh, what's his name died uh but he he you know like yeah, yeah. Uh, he didn't, he, like no one knew that didn't sustain unfortunately like yeah, yeah. Um, i was very close with stewart um i know yeah part. um and uh yeah i mean stewart really set the bar for everybody right like, right he is the one who took the little richards who you know unfortunately just passed away and took inspiration from them like david bowie did like jack yeah. white he kind of took those sort of like champions of rock and roll and was just like now i'm gonna write poetry to it you know it, it was cool shit. the book the you know meet me in the bathroom gave a beautiful like the yeah, first okay. fifth of the book is like mm-hmm. is is him Stuart, yeah well yeah. And what's beautiful about that too is it's like now you know wolf songs for lambs uh-huh. You know, Third Man Records. Got its reissue, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like, you know, Stewart's book of poetry is now, it's just like, it's it's nice. To, it sucks that he had to die in order to get that recognition. You yeah. Know? But um, if, he, if that's what had to happen, I'm glad that he's at least getting some sort of um, beautiful shine. Because um, he was an incredible person, um, especially an incredible musician. Yeah, I love the music. I listen to it now. I listen to all the new stuff. No, I know. Uh, yeah, in- Interpol's probably the only other like relevant, you know. That band. I mean, I can. But the, yeah. but I I would I would I have issues with you know, whatever. But uh, Carlos is in my movie that I just made. I love Carlos. Um, definitely the coolest one of that band. Don't talk to me about. He's so different than you would imagine. I'll introduce you guys. Like, oh my god, it's crazy. Like, and he has this like crazy i could i'll have carlos on the show like carlos is just like he has this crazy balance of self-awareness and completely completely in the clouds like he has this like i think it's it's very intentional i guess he has this like beautiful understanding of his existence but like he's very aloof to all these aspects of or at least he plays aloof to all these aspects of like what happened in his past Mm -hmm. and um yeah, it's very, it's, he's one of my favorite people to talk to. Just like I, I sit with him and we just talk like, like I, I love his ideas and the books he reads and stuff. And he's just, he's yeah. a smart guy. Um, okay. So you made croissants. 
this week or what? Uh, two, 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 three weekends ago, sometime. You know, I just saw I, you post about it, and that's yeah. my fucking heart. Um, well, I mean, I got really annoyed by everybody making sourdough bread, which is such an irrational thing to get annoyed by. But oh, I, I like, don't even know what the sourdough bread craze is. I just saw, I see people mention it, but I like have no frame of reference. What, what is, what does that mean? It's not hard to make sourdough bread. People, so are, people are just making it because it's not hard. People are just making it, and uh-huh. so I was like, you know, you know me. I'm an overachiever, and I was like, fuck sourdough bread. I'm gonna make croissants, and so essentially, not to sound like a real asshole. I was like, fuck this, I'm gonna make croissants. And so I did. And I, you know, they turned out- Are they good? Yeah. They were were so good. You ever go to Japan? No. There's there's one place that makes these insane, like you've never tasted in Japan. That's awesome. Yeah, I love, like that's, a croissant to me is like, if I'm having a bad day, I want like a croissant with like that almond filling and I wanted to have that with like a cup of coffee. So the best in the world, it's at Hakata Station in Fukuoka. Okay. And I mean, it's like, there's a line always and they're little, they're like the size of the ones that you made. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. And there's like a couple varieties, but the plain ones are just like, I could just eat them continuously. They're just. Yeah. Croissants are the perfect food vessel for. That's like this thing that like every girl I've ever dated, they always, um, (laughs) like everyone knows how I feel about croissants and it's like, (laughs) they all. (laughs) <laughs> they'll laugh like about my obsession with them well i mean um, you probably can't make them where you are right now but they're not they they're difficult because they require a lot of like precision and patience not because yeah. what you're doing is difficult you know like you laminate dough laminating dough is not is not a hard process in the sense of like you're making a slab of butter go into you know you're rolling a slab of butter essentially into like flour and yeast and whatnot, right? It just, that physically takes a lot of energy to do. So people give it like, oh, making croissants is super hard. Yeah, well, because it requires fucking energy. That's why. Anything worth doing requires yeah. energy. Yeah. We, we, yeah. See, that goes back to my concept <laughs> of forward. It's got to keep going. All right. <laughs> just got to do something, right? Try something new. Keep moving. Keep doing it. Yeah. So croissants. Take your sourdough bread and shove it. I made croissants. Way better. I wouldn't <laughs> eat sourdough bread. I just wouldn't eat it. There's no it's reason. Easy. It's just it's just fat. It's just like stuff that's gonna make me tired. Croissants though. I've had this I had this urge happen to me once before where I was like I had like a bad week at work. Because these things happen. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to master making macarons this weekend. And I did. I just made them over and over and over until I fucking perfected it. That's another thing that like requires an immense amount of patience and, and precision. Like I could have made, I could have yeah. made chocolate chip cookies, which is equally just like a sugary thing or whatever. Yeah. But it's like, no, the process and getting to the final result of like making something difficult and, and completing it to me is like, that's why I do these things. Well, hopefully I'll have some when I get back. Yeah. Oh my god. If I ever come back, I don't know. <laughs> there are some still in the freezer, but I'll make you fresh ones for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. Anything uh any closing thoughts or questions? Uh no. The only thing I wanna say is um if I'm allowed to plug something, is that cool? Oh, go for it, yeah. Do whatever okay. you want. Um 
So there's, there's this initiative going around called Save Our Venues because all the independent music venues are um, really on the precipice of like failing. Um, and so there's the National Association of Independent Venues who's doing some really, really good work in trying to get these venues, um, you know, some federal funding. Uh, it would be dope if anybody's listening and this is in the time of Corona. Uh, if you just go and check it out and sign up and send in a letter to your congressperson, it's very easy. All you have to do is just put your name in and your zip code. It'll automatically do it um, in order to help those venues get some funding that they really, really need in order to stay open. Um, I'll put it in like the notes or whatever. Thanks. Yeah. Just yeah I've definitely seen the campaign. We're talking a lot about music and, and it wouldn't be for these smaller rooms that these people that we've been talking about and all this stuff right. we're talking about, they wouldn't, they wouldn't exist. So uh, they need help just as much as restaurants and everybody else. So yeah. that's all I get. Don't, don't request refunds. Don't request refunds. I mean, Ticketmaster and whatever, those are going to happen automatically, but just don't request the refunds from the other ones because it's just going to some person who owns a venue or some promoter who won't be able to do anything for a long time or an artist and yeah. just let them have it. You, you you can afford the $35 because you already spent it and just, yeah. yeah. Or if you really can't afford it and, and ask if you can't for it afford, That's okay too, but you can sign one of these letters that costs you nothing. You know? There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, Hey, thank you so much for, uh, for being on, whatever this is and uh <laughs> tea, tea with sean <laughs> oh tea with sg that's what i'm calling yeah, it right. yeah yeah nice. yeah oh no that's for sure that that i'm calling it like i have the artwork and shit right. um right. i more just mean like like what is this it's just so it's so existentially questioning that like two people can just talk about stuff and other people will focus and listen to that i just think that's crazy and like conferences are crazy fireside <laughs> chats stuff like that they're that's crazy how dare people use their time on that but i basically am better than all the other people doing it and i <laughs> will provide just like more thoughtful shit to make them make stuff and like that's a world that we can live in but I think it would be way cooler to spend all of my time just making stuff but I recognize that given the universe this is part of that process and if you know Tim Ferriss is going to be the one that people are listening to like someone someone's got to be like yo there's like there's another way. Yeah, I mean, and also maybe someone who's in an industry that they actually care about. Yeah, those people don't have an industry. Those people just have fear. <laughs> fear and anxiety, that is their industry. Yeah. Well, thank right. you. This is awesome, dude. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, we'll do it again in person over croissants and tea. Yeah. And okay. um, in the meantime... Yeah, we'll have, we'll get Katz's Deli also. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God, please, yes. And, I miss uh, Katz's oh, so much. But, me know. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Katz's. you be safe and you know, don't like, don't enjoy Mexico too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm. I mean, I'm staring at like it's yeah, so yeah. beautiful what I'm staring at right now. I'm like,
I'll make that a part of another episode. I was thinking I'll do an episode maybe on the place that I'm in because there's a lot of like art history here. It's all these um, big sculptures like JR. I mean, I fucking hate JR's art, but uh, whatever. Uh, there's there's all these like art festivals here and stuff. It's very cool. Nice. Um, and you have really. to tell me when you finish House of Leaves. You have to. Like, it's my. Oh, favorite. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm on like, I think I'm. I'm on page like 150 or something, but I've read all the appendixes already, you know, cause, cause you go back and forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I read all the, the, the Walpole letters or whatever. So I'm past that. So I'm like, I can't tell exactly like what percentage of the book I've read because I've. It moves really quick towards the end. Like, because there, you'll see like, just cause it's 600 and some odd pages doesn't uh-huh. mean it's, you know what I mean? Like you'll see you'll see what I mean, but it's yeah. one, to me, it's, it's the most incredible book I've ever read. Um, and I, I don't say that lately or with like, I'll get through it in the next, you know, two weeks. Uh, yeah. the only thing that'll delay that is like, I, I could do it in five days. I'm yeah. just like, I'm doing other stuff now. So yeah, like we just spent however many hours doing this, <laughs> but like if I weren't doing this, I'd just be reading house of leaves. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. You'll love it. And if there was a way to make it a film, it should absolutely be made into a film. But well, I've don't. been thinking about that because... I don't think I, there is. I don't think there's a way to do it. The, the problem is how do you make it not paranormal activity? Correct. And because yeah. the story is just... You know, it could just be paranormal activity, you know? Yeah, and totally. that would be super fucking whack. Yeah, the way to do it is to make it adaptation and have it be the meta, you know, the the four narratives and whatever. And you just have to go super deep into like, how do you visualize all of that? How do you activate all of that? Uh, like, you know, Johnny Truant. Um, I read, I was doing like a little bit of just like universe around this without trying to spoil anything for myself. Like I saw that there's a, there's like a bullshit, like Amazon, if you go on Amazon and you put House of Leaves in, there's a, um, like a like a criticism book on it, which is just clearly some bullshit. But I saw a, a a review of that book where it's like they don't talk about the Walpole letters, they don't talk about Johnny Truant in the criticism book on House of Leaves. So it's probably I mean I was not wasting my time looking at it, but yeah, yeah. it's probably someone just taking the book as like like without the footnotes, without the um the you know uh. Context, Nabokov, really. uh, you know, f- framework, uh, form, um, and just taking it as like a story about a house that's whatever, that's yeah. all, you know, got weird stuff going on. <laughs> and run. at that point, you know, you just have paranormal activity. Yeah. And if you made it in the year 2000, when the book came out, that's cool. That's a good movie. But now that paranormal activity already exists and we're, so far past those ideas being fresh you have to make the book about i don't know it's super i have to get through it but like yeah. like i need to know where he's going with um because johnny truman is starting to feel like moby to me where every time i hear him talk he talks about someone that he has sex with yeah, and yeah. like the moby book is so disgusting and unreadable i can't believe i read that book and and just it's just a book about Moby got laid. It's like there's anecdotes around all the like scenes that he was a part of, but they're just there to house the story about how he got, got laid. 
and he says it over and over again. The the, uh, the audiobook, the Mo- have you have you read the Moby book or no? No, because I remember Natalie Portman being like, "Fuck this." Oh no, but it came out like five years before that. But but yeah, I mean that happened and that validates this. But the book is so fucking weird, and it's it's like so if you know like Johnny Truant, I, I'm I'm like a hundred something pages into it, so I'm sure it twists somewhere. But yeah. every anecdote is about how is it goes back and forth between him. This isn't really spoiler alert, but like spoiler alert if you don't want anything House of Leaves, like close your ears for 20 seconds. But he just talks about how like his mind is going and then it's how he fucked some girl and how every single person related to Zampano, the, all the, the women, they're all gorgeous women with completely yeah. different types of gorgeousness and they all have sex with him immediately. So it's part, I know that they're referencing like the film noir thing, but it's also like, it's, it sounds like Moby and I'm just like, ugh, I'm like, this is tired already. Like, so I'm hoping that they, that like the writer is like bringing me somewhere with the amount of like women objectified and had sex with. And like, I hope that's going somewhere and it's not just like the character. Cause if it is, then there's a movie in it. But if it's just like the parallel narrative of how he's losing it and how he's doing all this crazy stuff like that. I'm a little, I don't know. Okay, that's fair. Don't tell me anything. But that's that, That's where I'm at right now. And yeah, I'm like, absolutely. cool, the story of the house I got and I'm good with. But like, I'm tired of hearing how many people he comes on and stuff like that. And like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I read fair. Kathy Acker a lot and I'm reading her at the same time. And like, I'll take Kathy Acker's porn writing over Johnny Truant's porn writing. That's fair. That's fair. Did you and did you know that uh, Mark's sister is uh, singer Poe? No, no. I mean, I know yeah. very little. Do you, yeah. you remember that song "Hey Pretty" that came out like the maybe the late '90s, early 2000s by Poe? Probably. I'm not sure. He wrote uh, an album that goes along with the book. So. Oh, so I have to listen. Should I listen to it now or not, after? Uh, it doesn't matter. But you should know that the the works are connected because. Uh, it's interesting to see book also have the album sort of alludes to um, what happens in the book of it. Also, here's a fun fact. Um, Sam from Interpol had a band, his solo project called Empty Mansions. And it's the whole record is about House of Leaves. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I actually had the vinyl of it. I'll, I'll take a photo of the liner notes where you can see about it. Yeah, cool. It's like weirdly when you find somebody who's Writing read this note. book, it's like a little <laughs> bit of like a like a head nod. Like you're like, oh shit. Right. My um, two is it's House of Leaves and and I, I'm like one book into 2666 Roberto Bolaño, but I've never had the time. So like, if I stay in Mexico for another month, I'll get through both of them. Yeah. Um, but if I come back to the city and stuff, like it's fucked because I need yeah. like crazy focus to get through these books, but. Yeah, I've read a bunch of books, but like I've read like 200 to 500 page books. Yeah, and yeah, I've, yeah. I've read a bunch of them and those are like, I go through it in a few days, and but the 750 page books are, you know, they're hard. Yeah. Let House of Leaves also take its time because like you will yeah. be sad when it's over. <laughs> At least I was where I was like, fuck, I want there to be another 750 pages of this. Right. Anyway, oh, I'm so excited for you to read it. Thank Get you. Yeah. Over. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep the commentary coming as as I get through it. Please do. All right. Well, All right. Cool. Thanks so much for for doing this, and I'll keep you posted when I put it up on the internet and stuff. And uh, yeah. yeah.
Let me know if you need anything. Thank you so much. And you. I mean, yeah. I can't provide anything, but <laughs> you <laughs> can tell me. Color commentary. Yeah. I have no resources. I have no, I can't help anyone with anything other than this will be my thing that I could help you. I could spread, <laughs> you know, I could, I could tell people about things. That'll be my new way of living. I just I like swim it. and I tell people about things. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, that was my first show. If you really listened to that whole fucking thing, like, oh my God. I mean, thanks, but like, shit. I I don't know what to tell you. You got issues. You shouldn't listen to me talk that much. That's crazy. Um, Thanks to Jorge for his help on this. Um, Travis, too. Ryan, who else was, like, useful, nice to me? Um, I don't know. Obviously, thank you to Shauna, most of all. Um, All right, cool. We'll read the article on Music Business Worldwide. It's up now. If this is up, that's up. Um, Thanks, Tim Ingham. Uh, www.shawn.glass. Yes, that's the URL, no.com. Don't be an idiot and press.com. Like I told you what the URL is. Um, at s.glass, S-D-O-T-G-L-A-S-S. I mean, you don't need me to say this. Like if you're listening to this, you have those in front of you. Um, but yeah, but I'm just, I'm going to be posting videos on Instagram TV. Uh, and so if you want to watch, you can watch it on there. Uh, I'll do YouTube later, but I'll just do Instagram for now. And the audio will be going up through all these different channels, you know, regularly um hit me up if you have episode ideas too i'm down for whatever i don't do anything i just sit here and swim all day all right thanks guys